Hello there, welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and it's only been a week since we recorded. I feel What's like going I want to say this is a very special episode, even though <laughs> it's just a very regular episode. Well, regular for what used to be right. our podcast, where we used to like record every week. When's the last time we did like episode to episode recording? Like week to week, I should the say. Middle of COVID until we were done. Yeah, I guess so. With right? the list. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Remember those remember those COVID days? Remember we would set up like the table long, well, and I would try to wear my mask for most of it. We tried that for three weeks, I think. No, like two weeks. It was I like think? two and a half weeks, and then in like the middle of the third one, I was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And then we had like a long conversation. It's like, listen, if I'm going to be in your know, house, yeah, and we know each other, like who's our, what's it called, our network or whatever. The um, yeah, what do they call that? There used to be so many contact terms. tracing. We know, yeah, like if one of us got it, we could contact trace pretty easily. Our bu- bubbles, bubbles, yeah, our bubble, our bubbles. Your bubble was fairly small. My bubble was two people. Yeah. Um, three people. Uh, so, yeah. You know? I do remember that. That was, that was weird. Those were the days. Weird times. Mario. But then you, you, you got your, your professoring on, and I got a lot more free time, so... <laughs> <laughs> more and more on your end. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah. I think... No, who cares? I think this is a cause for celebration. Right? Yeah. Craziness. Every day we're we're here as a cause for celebration. Right? Yeah. We are continuing our sojourn into Christmas like beers. You know, I didn't get a spice dale this time, I got an IPA this time. Mm. But that IPA is from a certain brewery that is uh that is known by our pivotal film listeners to be the one that likes to experiment a bit. You know I can see who it is. You know yeah. Because <laughs> I know. But it's abomination. An oh, abomination. You got the fog dog. <laughs> oh, you can see. Oh, yeah, because I turned it no, in. I've seen this. I yeah. saw this at the liquor store and I was like. It is a double dry hopped, double Indian pale ale with lactose and spices. Uh, what's Where's the untapped review I saw here? It's got decent reviews on untapped. But uh, one such review says balance, sweet, and spice perfectly really has the taste and feel of eggnog with hops. Good God. Oh, I had to. I had to do this. I saw this on the shelf. I, I've seen this for three weeks. And I've been like, now? The fact that now? it existed for three now? weeks but there on was the shelf only is like one, a miracle. There was only... So there was... Three weeks ago, there was like three sets of a four-pack. Uh-huh. Last week, there was two. Mm-hmm. This week, there was just one left. But it took three weeks. Normally, when the Abomination... When some Abomination shows up somewhere, like at my local place, it's gone instantaneously. Really? If I don't get it then, then it's not there. We're actually pouring this in the cups just to see what it looks like. The glasses, I should say. Fat so orange cat play. glasses. Fat orange cat now also brewed at twelve percent. Oh man, you could smell that and be like, "Yeah, that's a milkshake IPA oh, yeah. for goddamn sure." The spice is actually even—I don't know—it's mingling with the hops, so I'm almost not getting like is, a hoppy smell. No, I'm just getting straight clove on the nose. But it's um, clove and lactose is what I smell. Yeah, I was gonna say because it's it's clove with like the edges kind of carved down a little bit. They were fucking cowards. They didn't put any egg yolk in it. Imagine if dink it. Imagine if it had a full yolk in it. (laughs) Soupy. How do they do that? You know, it doesn't taste a goddamn thing like eggnog. The spice hit me in the back of the throat. That's what Riley Reed said. Um, yeah, it's not bad. I would not say that this is reminiscent of eggnog. It just tastes like Christmas. Let me drink it out of the can here really quick. 
Yeah, that's a good idea. Mm. Much more eggnog out of the can. I, th- I think it condenses the spices, maybe, and that... That cinnamon and clove flavor is much more pronounced yeah. there. And that is kind of... And not there's not a lot of nutmeg, though. And nutmeg is what I put in heavily in my eggnogs when I make them. Because um, I make eggnog from scratch, ladies. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's. I, I think out of in the glass, it, it has like a Christmas flavor. In the can, it definitely has a, a reminiscence of eggnog. It's still. It's not the worst beer I've had. It's a nine point one percent. It tastes like a nine point one percent in the sense that like it is so milkshakey that you know it's high. It, you know it's trying to cover. Yeah. That that alcohol flavor. I agree with you. I, I, it definitely is. There's something, and this is weird. Maybe this is not a thing. It, the flavor is more open in the glass, which is, I think, worse. And yeah, it seems very separated. No, in um, and out of the can, it seems like you said it's, condensed. It's a condense, yeah. It does. Um, I don't hate it, but it's not like my favorite thing that they. No, oh, absolutely done. not. But it also doesn't taste very experimental either. No, you know what I mean. I issue, wish like a more interesting depth of flavor. My here. issue with Abomination has been. The fact that there's always this kind of like underneath flavor, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's like a really heavy clove flavor, mm-hmm. at least in terms of, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a pumpkin. It was like their pumpkin. Oh, the uh, Forbidden beer. Pumpkin? Yeah, the Forbidden Pumpkin. Yeah. Um, that had like heavy clove. Yeah. Because um, it had a pumpkin spice kind of flavor. Yeah. And that kind of overwhelmed everything. I think they're, this is Fognog, so it's based upon their Fog series. Mm-hmm. They're regular like double Fog it's series good. where it's just like, you know, they're just basically experimenting with a different hop each time. Mm-hmm. It's really solid. Yeah, absolutely. I love um, the fog. But this it is... It feels like when they're experimenting, they just kind of like have a go-to. And it's like, maybe pull back from the go-to. Or Their d- stouts are much more experimental, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you, I've, I've seen them around. I just, yeah. And I think to that point, the stouts being more experimental taste, the depth of flavor in those stouts is always really interesting. And there's a lot of things going on. And it seems like... You can kind of taste them trying something out. This doesn't really seem like they're trying something. It seems like they conceived of something, executed it, and it, it kind of is what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't have it doesn't have a real like super depth of flavor like some of the other stuff that we've had from Abomination. I agree. But I agree. they're entitled. They're entitled I, to it's their still, it's still good. I it's still, still good. It. It's still Don't ever drink it out of a glass though. I wanted to see the color, and the color is not that impressive. It's actually not as foggy as I'd expect. Well, before we started talking about the beer, or before we opened the beers, I kind of started imagining what it could possibly look like. Like, you know, when you when I saw that it was the fog nog, I was like, oh, and you wanted to see the color. What could this color be? And it's just regular color. Yeah, it's but it's actually less um, hazy than most IP, electric right. IPAs. So. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting. Um, I guess there's no good segue for this. Um, hazy. No one drinks any... Hazy. You know what is pretty hazy, Tom? Those mornings on the shoreline when the sun is rising over the Atlantic. Mm. You smell the brine in the air. Mm. And you get out on your ship to go fishing. Yes. Because we are that talking worked. about the uh, Apple Pl- Apple Plus. Is it Apple Plus? Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus original film uh, Coda. 
I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. to say? You will be required to have a hearing individual on board at all times. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life. Never done anything without my family before. Coda um, uh, is directed by and written and directed by Cian Hedder. Um, I haven't seen any of the other things that she's done. Um, and it's based upon a French movie called La Famille Belier. Is it really? Yes. Oh, it does. It says it right here. Um, interesting. Um, that's cool. I think I think we should continue with our not explaining the full plot thing to it. I think that worked last week. Just like a general run, like a general kind of rundown, quick synopsis. Then, yeah. So um, Amelia Jones, who is a Welsh um, uh, singer actress, plays Ruby Rossi. She is the daughter of um, Jackie and Frank Rossi, played by Marley Matin, Matlin and uh, Troy Kotzer, who are both deaf. They have another son named Leo, played by Daniel Durant, who is also deaf. So. Um, Ruby is the one hearing person in this family and she does a lot of translation they work on a fishing boat Um, she really likes to sing and so she befriends um, the choir director at this um, Gloucester High School um, Bernardo Villalobos played by Eugenio Derbez Bernardo I can't I would call him Mr. V Mr. yeah there you go um and he convinces her to uh, pursue her singing and uh, apply to the Berklee College of Music. Um, this obviously creates some tension in the family because they need her to run their business, which has recently expanded a little bit as they've pushed away from. Um, well, they, they become state, independent. Yeah, they, uh, from like uh, state, I guess, control, state or like it's, local it's, control it's of, a, of, of of the fisheries it's and kind pricing. of like a co-op-ish. It's like a different well, like, co-op. Yeah, yeah, kind of something. Sort of. Um, but they need her to stay, and she wants to go. Um, and on top, like in within that kind of just very typical struggle, is this um, person who can hear, and these this family who really can't hear and hasn't really, even though they seem like they lived in this town for. A very long time hasn't really adjusted to um to interacting with people who can you can do it do it you, you know i did just right? dump it no i'm not going to <laughs> um i mean that's kind of like the general that's the general crux of it there's i mean it hits a lot of fairly standard issue beats um for a movie like this um but i think it 
does some interesting things. It has a couple of flaws that I, I will bring up in our conversation, but I really, um, I really liked it a lot. It's too long by like 20 minutes, um, but I'll forgive it, you know, that time because it's, and it's not doing anything like super great with that extra time. Um, but it's not ruining the movie either. It just, you know, there's some there's some some beats where it's like just really wants to hit them, and you're just like, yeah, we could have got out of this faster. We could have got out of this faster. Um, but I really liked it, and and Amelia Jones can really sing. I kind I think I liked Wild Rose, the Jesse Buckley kind of version of this story, um, a little better. Um, Which one? I'm not familiar with that. That was a couple of years ago. That was like when Jesse Buckley Wild. like came out like yeah. you know big so she was she was scottish and she was she wanted to be a country singer and so her dream and but she was also kind of like you know she had a kid who she didn't really take care of very Got much it. because she was drinking and out doing shows and that movie ends with her getting to the grand Ole opry and like standing on the stage in front of nobody like she's just alone and she like she's not perform she's performing for herself um, so it's this like it's this like moment of self discovery where like nobody's there to share it with her except like think a janitor or something that lets her that lets her in, um, and it's it's a little rougher in that, but it hits the same kind of beats. Um, <clears throat> Jesse Buckley just plays her Rose as like really coming apart, and she's staying together as much as she can just to do like this one thing, and then she learns how to be a better mother and through all this other stuff. Well, this but, podcast obviously does not particularly care for jesse buckley as seen by last year's awards we've 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 <laughs> had our moments of of discord with with jesse buckley for, <laughs> for sure um but i think it's good i think it's 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 i, I want to have a couple of i guess um aesthetic conversations of, like surrounding this i found it to be like very very shiny like super shiny um way more so than like uh just other movies like this, like Manchester by the Sea, or, or movies that take place. Oh, obviously yeah. it's not. I'm just thinking like aesthetically. Oh, okay. Like, you're shooting like this from air. production design. Right. Where it is you're shooting, and she keeps saying like my house is gross, and like her house isn't gross, and like it. The high school is really like a super nice high school. It's, like, I, I no one can afford. Um, all of these people seem to be fishing people, except for the people that aren't fishing people, and the fishing people can't afford to live, but they can apparently afford to pay enough taxes to employ a Berkeley of College of Music graduate to be a choir director Who with a baby. lives in gra- like the nicest fucking house Nicest in the world. fucking house and, and a baby will, piano in his room and all I'm this not, other stuff. I'm not jumping on you to this because no, no, I want to continue. But um, in terms of the production design and and the cinematography with how like flat and clean it looks, yeah. it feels very much like a Hallmark film. Oh, it's got a little bit. Like a, it's a push the dial up a little bit more, but I know I see that too. But it's also something it's that aesthetic. I, I think. think Apple stuff. Have you because like I think Ted Lasso looks like this too. Absolutely, M- the Morning Show, which is just an atrocious garbage show. I've heard. So I've heard the, the Morning Show conversation is interesting because I heard the first season everyone loves and the second season everyone hates. The, the whole thing is sucks from beginning to end. It's fucking terrible. But me and my wife kind of just watch it like. Every Friday, like, like, let's see what completely terrible thing this show has decided to, to oh, like, did, invest its time in now. Do they release episodes weekly? Yeah. That's a fucking dumb idea. On Friday, yeah, Friday night. So, um, but everything I've seen on that channel so far. Steve on the, Jobs had got medication. He probably would have not done that. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I didn't, uh, part of me wanted to be, the Steve Jobs comment is interesting because part of me thought it was, like, maybe part of Apple's, like, aesthetic choice. Like, 
They're keeping everything, including their content, like super streamlined and looking super sharp. Because on the rocks, looks like this too. See, that's why I thought it's like is like this is a, an intent. Like it's it's really digitized. It's really Di- yes, yes, absolutely sharp. Like we talked about this boy Feister, a really sharp. Like yeah, everything's yeah, yeah. really sharp. Well, um, it's just interesting because the next movie we're going to talk about is almost like the exact opposite. Um, but I, but again, that's if we graded movies, I would probably give. Most of this, like this movie, like a B plus as a whole, maybe like a B, B plus. And then there's moments where it like shoots itself up um, with certain performances and certain like things and stuff like that. So, okay. Um, this is a, like a tale of, of two stories for me. Uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, as I said, like this is something I latched onto early on. I hated the first 30 minutes of this film mm-hmm. uh, because of that aesthetic. Because everything was so clean, so clinical. It has an incredibly forgettable score that mm. just does nothing. That does nothing except to serve the fact that it feels as though it's like a stock score almost. And I, and I don't mean to like Marius DeVere's like to, to discredit their music, but it just it everything about the surrounding technical aspects of this film don't work. And from a story perspective, from a screenplay perspective, I have questions. On I too, think yeah. it fucking fails in every way. It's a ho- because it's-, it's juggling four different conflicts at once. We are juggling the the conflict of, of Ruby and her singing. Yep. We are juggling this ridiculous, dumb conflict of of Ruby and Miles. We are juggling the conflict between Ruby and her family, mm-hmm. and we're juggling the conflict of the fishing bureau mm-hmm. sort of issue. Um, and in that, it's never able to really authentically portray those issues with the kind of depth and maturity that it demands. Even the ones that it should be able to. Yeah, absolutely. Or that it needs to be able to. All that said, every single performance in this movie is fucking magnificent. Like, all of the actors in this mm-hmm raise the material yeah and i think the screenplay fails but i think um haters direction really shines Mm -hmm. in the sense that when this movie starts and amelia jones is singing i'm like she's not that great like it's i don't understand like why we're like saying yeah she's a singer but as it kind of progresses and how she's with mr v which i'm sure lin Miranda wishes he had had that role (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he did. As it progresses and she but, becomes a little more raw mm-hmm. and a little more like in like inner. Yeah. Um like that's when Amelia Jones is like singing comes out. And like mm-hmm. when she has that final Berkeley audition, it, it fucking it's, knocks it out of the park. Oh yeah. Um so it is it is a con it's a conflict that I have. In in the fact that I think there's this really well directed, extremely <clears throat> well acted film. Um I think Troy Kotsker is, is in my conversation. I mean, he's, he's what, a Golden Globe nominated now for this? I think. Yeah. Um, in my conversation for, like, a Best Supporting Actor. Um, I think Amelia Jones is in my conversation right now for a Best Actress, even. Well, because I, we're I, cause, not... Because it's so raw and it's so earnest. And there's... And, you know, Daniel Durant's, like, when he's signing on the beach, it's great. that entire scene so is amazing. Intense. Yeah. But it's so curious to me how, how this is... Overall, the screenplay... Feels like a slightly deeper level, um, like Hallmark film. Because I looked at this as like this is a well-made Hallmark film from its screenplay and its aesthetic standpoint, but it's 
standing in stark you know opposition with this extremely well done well directed well acted film yeah and um i mean i we can take from this what we want but like eugenio derbez is also in another apple plus tv apple tv plus show called acapulco so i don't know if this is like like some brand i don't know what it is either but it's I don't know if this is like brand synergy, like he got the part because he's in this other Apple movie or but he's, did they, he's he's terrific. He's great. But it's again, we were just kind of talking about like Apple kind of having a uniform aesthetic or whatever. Like are they just kind of putting Apple people in like Apple roles or it doesn't matter. Um But that but the, to that point, like I think before I forget this, like the, the Mr. V conflict really bothers me. Because of the way that he's kind of presented early on, and this is, this is I think, a, a failing of the screenplay, yeah. is he presented this kind of like really authentic, really kind of like with it and cognizant person. Yep. And then he, when he shows frustration at um, Ruby for her like missing rehearsals, the way that these performances are done and the way the script's been presented itself is that like he would go like, your parents are the issue here. Like they're obviously... Like he seems as though he's he's cognizant of what's going on in the community. He wouldn't think Ruby. I, I think the yeah, story says the Ruby wasn't wasn't taking it not seriously. He would say like your parents aren't noticing the fact that you need to live your own life. Well, still a- and that's what kind of like bothers me is like is like it takes these really easy turns to re like invigorate their conflicts when. The performances and the direction demand a more nuanced perspective. Yes. And I think this movie, from a screenplay perspective, lacks the nuance that the direction and the acting has. I'm going to be very honest with you. I hated, like, I actively hated, like, portions of the screenplay. With, like... Absolutely. To the point where, like, it verged on, like, tanking the movie for me. Every, every, um... Marley which Matlin. is which is a which is a a testament, testament to how right. well acted it is look, and direct and to a degree directed. Well, because I think she's directing these. I think she's directing these actors, and she's um, she's got these situations, and she's and she's like able to. I don't know if it's like staging. She is able to stage these conflicts in a way that if the screenplay was better, the pacing of the movie and like the way that it, the conflicts unfold would be would be right and correct and would have that payoff at the end. But because the screenplay is, is so like rough and like non use the word nuanced, like non nuanced stuff just kind of like dies. Like these situations of like, well, this is like, so you kind of referenced, you know, her, him, um, Mr. V yelling at um, Ruby for being late. And then she goes, or no, it's even after it's after that when, she goes to the house and he doesn't answer the door because she's late because she has to do the news thing, which we'll talk about. It's part of this. And then he goes, she goes to the school later and he's playing the piano and she's like, oh, is that yours? And he gets up and he like is about to give like a speech. And like the speech is just like, do you know why I'm a teacher? Like, so he, she talks, she's, look, it sounds like she's setting him up for like, why are you here? You know what I mean? Like you're this big, you know, Berkeley College of Music graduate. How did you end up in this? Like, just teaching in this Gloucester High School. He's like, you know why I'm here? You know why I became a teacher? Because I'm good at it. End of conversation. It's like, and I was just kind of like, oh, no. Like, that's, that can't be the, you don't how this conversation that, yeah. goes. But, like, to that point, every single one of these interactions with these people, from an acting perspective, are kind of glorious in a way. But from the things that they're saying are just 
ridiculous. The fact that they're... I, I get... So we had kind of talking off, off mic about like the deaf community's reaction to this. And like their grievances, the two grievances that you cited are like not really grievances and they should get over them. The thing that I think they should have a problem with is the fact that they're portraying these deaf people as totally cloistered from all human reality. So the idea that their daughter wants to literally do anything other than sign for them and interpret what people are saying completely like blows their mind yeah I, why are they so fucking shitty yeah that's the thing that's the problem the problem is like the conflict there there is no conflict we are told that there's a conflict between you know um the rose the rossi family and the community right and we see a little bit of that um when leo is kind of goes goes to the bar right um but it's not really like you don't ever get the sense that they're really separated, right? Um, well, and the way and the, so, when they do separate them, it's like with stupid uh, like tropes. Like that guy calls him a freak. It's like he's deaf. Yeah, Everyone no, knows he's deaf. No, no one says that anymore. That. Yeah, but the issue with this though is is the way those uh, the way that kind of like drama unfolds and the way these conflicts arc, you end up looking at. Frank and Jackie going like you selfish fucks. Oh, I know. And for most of the movie, it doesn't even really seem to turn all that much. Especially, especially Jackie. Like Jackie is a monster until like in, in the way that she's like, no, you gotta do this for us. You gotta do this for us right. until like you know that really nice scene that like Amelia Jones and Marley Matlin act their asses off on the bed, like where. You know, she said, like, I wish, where uh, Jackie says, like, I kind of wished, wished you were, were dead. Yeah. Like, that, that that screenplay and those lines aren't great, but, like, they fucking blow the lid off of what that is. Right. Um, but even then, it's, you don't have this clear, so she's wished she was, so she's resented her her whole life. And so she doesn't want her to go. No, she doesn't resent. No, she no, doesn't resent. That, I'm, asking, I'm asking questions. Because the movie, because the screenplay is so non-nuanced, yes. okay. there's no subtext to any of the like the shitty way that she's treating her daughter in the beginning of the movie. I, I think it earns that by saying like, "Oh, you know," I by saying like, "I was afraid I was going to be distant, but we're not distant," and that's the thing. And it kind of it, the screenplay doesn't earn it, but the performances do. We're like. Jackie and um, Frank have that conversation in the bed of like I'm losing my baby and like then you start getting it like was never, the, she was never a baby yeah yeah but then you start getting like why Jackie's doing those things. but it's not it, any other performer in that like not any other performer but a less a less accomplished performers in those roles don't make that work and that's right. why the screenplay is bad the screenplay is bad because it hinges so entirely on its performances but I don't think it, know, it didn't know that when it was... I'm sure no, she didn't no. know that when it was written. There's a very good chance this movie stays like a Hallmark movie and never elevates What's, at any point. But even like the conversation that Leo has with Ruby on the beach... And this isn't like... Really quickly. This isn't the shit on Hater. I think it's Hater. Hater. Because like I yeah. think she makes the directorial choice that she makes to tell Amelia Jones, and I can only assume she did this, to sing not extremely well, sure. or refined in the beginning, and then refine it, shows that she knows how to direct actors. Well, she makes the really, I mean, she's make it's the thing, so she makes several very good choices. She makes the choice, and maybe it's not like an, maybe it's an easier choice than I think it is, to have a really extended 
um, a moment when they're at the concert when you cannot you can't hear anything. And I thought that was it needed to be long because you kind of needed to kind of get inside like how uncomfortable that might have been for them to just kind of be sitting there and not having any idea what was going on. I actually kind of half expected her to start signing her duet at some point so she could because she can see them talking about like signing what do you want for dinner and like spaghetti like I'll have to go to the grocery store and just kind of like not paying attention but I think it's I think the movie's screenplay failing is not just in the dialogue it's not just in the subtext and it's in the fact that this this whole group is presented like as a unit the entire time so very clearly Leo and Ruby's friend who are having a, a relationship um are like signing to each other. She's learned some rudimentary signs. They're communicating, but they never show us like that. that I'm, o- I'm okay with that. No, but that's, but I'm not okay with it because again, it lacks. It shows that there's no this movie. There's no subtext. It's just it's all like. Um, but I think I think that I think I like that because it is subtextual. But it's, because we get the introduction with Gertie, that like, you know, that Ruby sees Gertie as just as like the person who wants to fuck Leo. She's actually has relearned interested in Leo, mm-hmm. and I mean she does want to fuck him. She, well, I mean, yeah, but That's she's also, starts. but she's, but she is actually interested. But I think she right. actually is kind of interested in it because freaking. I think there's assumptions you can make that she's been around this guy for a while, found out he's attractive, but, Mario, and whatnot, but I'm okay. But this with is it. the whole point: is that you are making assumptions that are not in the movie. We're just assuming a bunch of stuff. But I'm okay with making assumptions in films. But you shouldn't have to. They should the, the screenplay should be better. I mean with something like that, I don't need my hand held. It's not about holding hands because they would they could show developing relationships. So for, I would for say me, this, I would viewer, say this. if, if, this, if this movie a, if this movie's other problems were more nuanced, I would be okay with the yes. assumption that that's happening. Sure. But I don't think if the other problems were more nuanced, I don't think that would be an assumption that you have to make. I, th- I think it might be because it's so But there'd in, be. But I'm, what I'm saying is that there would be, be evidence. There would be stuff. Because it can't... I guess what I'm saying, too, is that it can't be inconsequential. Is that Leo also is deve- is actively developing as a character. Because well, it, it so should... So the nature of that development should be evident somewhere in and the it, thing. And, it, and, and, and it, the screenplay misses a prime opportunity where, where like you kind of get Leo's apprehension and, and... Not apprehension, but Leo's insecurity with like being older but being presented as kind of like the younger sibling mm-hmm. because of Ruby's being able to hear. Yep. And then... You know, a more uh, a screenplay that is more on, which is actually kind of like a fifth conflict that enters into it that kind of doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, had we developed that conflict in in a way that builds well, we could have had the assumption of Gertie seeing Leo as this fully realized person, and even if that's on the periphery, like Gert- you resolve it by going like Gertie, a hearing person who's of the same age as as Ruby. Eighteen. Or, here's the thing. We've done, this, we've done this. Yeah, we've done this movie before. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know which specific movie I'm referencing, but why not have um, Gertie? Again, this movie is so long. It's like two hours long. Why not 100, have 110 minutes, something like that? Yeah. Um, why not have Gertie? Him actively trying, like Gertie wanting to learn stuff, and him trying to teach her stuff, and then and again, I, I hate when I rewrite these movies, but I'm just I kind don't of, think trying you to add subtext. See that. No, because then you have the added layer of the way that he is, the way that he is contributing to the family. Because because the screenplay is so silly, his problem is that like 
I'm older than you. I'm the older brother. I'll fix it. And I, my question is, how are you going to fix it? Because they've brought up, like, get an interpreter. We can't afford an interpreter. So how are you going to fix it? Part of the growth of his... So that's insane. Like, the right. scene... The one complaint I will agree with is the scene in which they're imposing the fines and there's not a provided interpreter for them. I'm like... It's fishing, man. On. It's 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 Gloucester fishing. There is no way they would accept a family member to interpret that would demand i was watching that has just as a state employee i was like there's no fucking way they would accept her right <laughs> to be there um which is not a real complaint but it's just like but i also like have the been... ways like when you have like i guess it's a statement for like when you have a minor complaint about something forget about it like a sure. minor technicality complaint because i was like that's not true but i was like yeah it's a movie whatever right and i kind of had a similar thing about like the the, tw- the turn when like the um the observer like turns them into the coast guard because they can't hear the coast guard calling them or whatever even though it seems like she turns them into the coast guard before that doesn't matter my my statement i guess is relates to the idea that like there are opportunities everyone's supposed to they've they haven't put it in they've made a movie in which there's a family and every member of the family is growing towards something they're not stagnant they're not the same as they were at the beginning of the movie. So there's opportunities contained in all of these things for them to actually show that, but they don't show it. They kind of rest, like we've said, on the actors to kind of show it through performance, even though the script doesn't allow them opportunities to do it. And like the way that the film is shot doesn't like provide context clues or subcontextual clues about like what's actually happening. Because the performances are good and because we're super smart, we're just like, well, I can assume that this is what's going to happen. I can assume that this is what's going to happen. But this, there's, there are places where you could have developed that stuff further. That wouldn't have taken like a whole bunch of time. Just a couple of quick, couple of quick scenes here. We could do a couple less scenes of, of Ruby being mad at Miles before she takes yeah. him pointlessly to a, to a ravine to jump in water. Which is, which is hilarious. This is where I've always argued where people say, like, stunt performances need Oscars. And I'd agree. But I've always argued casting directors need Oscars. Because Miles, that character, cut the fuck out of that Yeah, character. we don't need that We guy. don't need that conflict. We don't need anything. We don't need the duet. We She's don't got need enough on her plate. But um, Verdea Walsh-Pilo, playing Miles, whatever, he does a good enough job and... Him and Amelia Jones have enough, like, they create enough chemistry between them. Where, like, when they, like, they're sitting in the ravine in the water, I'm like, oh, I want to see you two kiss. Come on, kiss. Yeah. Come on, kiss. Absolutely. And they do, and I'm like, yeah. But I'm like, that doesn't, I don't, like, I don't why? Care. Yeah. It's like, this is like a pro wrestling thing almost, where it's just like, oh, you're, it's terrible writing carried by charismatic actors. But it's also because, like, I didn't know that was going to, my problem with that scene from a writing standpoint is, like, I didn't know it was going to happen. So she got in the fight with her parents, and then she just didn't show up for work the next day. When she doesn't show up for work the next day, I'm just like, what is she going to do? And then she's all of a sudden with Miles, who she was, like, super against for, like, a long time. It's like, but this is it? This is what's happened? This is what you're doing instead of being at work? Like, fine, but establish that this is an option. You yeah. know what I mean? Don't just make it like, oh, here, and they're here. He's right here. Doing this, right? That's good. It's a good use of your time. So it wasn't mad at her, too, when, like, her parents were like, she's like, don't, and again. Oh, which, once again, when great. she's fucking, like, Amelia Jones is signing, like, the, 
like on the shoulder. I know. Like, Don't I... blame me. I'm like, fuck. She's selling like, it. Like really quickly. I'm gonna say this just to shit on a movie from last week. Why are we still talking about Kristen Stewart in like the actress performance when like this is here? Like there's there's also another great performance this year. No, we'll talk about that was, later. We'll gonna, talk about I that. I made later. a note for later <laughs> because I wanted to have that exact conversation. But like that that's the thing. I I, I think so. We're, we're we're kind of like talk. I I think we should focus on the positive in this and the fact that I think it is a bad screen. I think it's a bad screenplay. I think technically it doesn't work a lot. But this is a move. I've it's a never, good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie, and like I am not faulting it. It's going to be a best picture nominee. Looks like, and I am. I mean, it has. I assume it has to be at this. Well, point. Well, kind like, of with like, everything. We'll talk about that again. Later. Yeah, because I've never seen like performances so lift up material. Yeah, and like, I think the material everything. Yeah. Like I can't look at anybody in this film going like they're not doing. They're not fucking like burning rubber on this mm-hmm. like everybody's doing really great work well, and they, even like your supporting characters like um like gertie like miles who don't have to do a lot like they're doing gertie shit. sells the bar interaction with um leo like right after he gets in the fight you he goes you the like bar. that couple well, it's so these these performances this is the direction. are so fuck yeah so this exactly. is the direction when they cross phones and they're texting each other like with their phones are like next to each other, and then it's stupidly like they're fucking in the bathroom. But like that, well, that's fine because it's like so charismatic. It is, but it's also just kind of like yeah, okay, fine. Because the moment before that is really well, because it's, it's hand, is, it's it's hand holding. And it, but it's really it's really powerful. Yeah, is that like she's and again, so there's opportunities that they just kind of leave there. Is that like she's communicating with him? And that's where we see, like... And that's what he's been saying, is that, like, we can figure this out. And his parents are like, we can't figure it out. We can't do anything. And it's great. And it's great. And, like, there's... uh, I mean, credits to... Some degree, I I don't necessarily want to... I don't think it's a screenplay. Credits to the direction in the fact that, like, reestablish Gertie as somebody who just wants to fuck Leo. Yeah. And when she does that, reestablish her as somebody who's actually interested in Leo. Yeah. And it's so dumb from, like, an actual depth... Saying actual uh, from a depth of a movie themes or whatnot standpoint, but it works because you're rooting for everybody in this movie, except when the screenplays fighting against you to be like, no, everyone's a piece of shit. But then you have these performances and the direction of these scenes and allowing their actors to work, saying, no, you are. So you kind of come to this crossroads where, like, middle way through the movie, I'm like, fuck these parents. And even at the end of the movie, when they when they're like, let's go up. I'm just like, guys, they said specifically no parents allowed. It's like, is no, this by that cost by her? That, by that point, by that point, I was sold. Like, I was, I was, when she starts signing, oh, I, yeah. I, start, I started tearing up. Sure, me too. But, like, I was still mad that they went. And I was still, and I was, I was like, this is an interesting choice to make them see what? them in there. Because I was like, well, what I is did, this going to mean for her? I will say, a I just figured, like, you can't go in the bottom with her. Like, the top was fine. Whatever. I, once again, an assumption. I know. I assume stuff. I did think a one bad, direct, like, the one bad directorial choice. There are some bad directorial choices. But the one really bad directorial choice is, like, when the three <laughs> Berkeley, like, yeah, teachers yeah, yeah. look up. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, do they actually like Ruby's performance? Or do they go, like, this is a story. I thought that too. Yeah, and I'm just like, I don't want to think that. Yeah, I don't want to think like, 
I want to think that they accepted Ruby because of performance and not because of like. Clearly, that's our family, and that family's fucking deaf. Right. Yeah. And yeah she yeah. can hear. She can hear. And I'm just and like, I don't want si- that. She's signing to them, and we're using context clues I to want establish. That. But like, also, other stuff. Yeah. also, the problem is they get distracted. Right. They have. They're not focused on the performer anymore. They look up, which means like, how engaging is her performance if they look up? Right. Well, and I, to that point, I guess um, I just. This is the weirdest positive negative review we've ever done. It's definitely not. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of you know we a do negative positive because what I was gonna say doesn't matter. I'll just, just like I'll talk to the, speak to the review that we're doing. We've done this before where we really like a movie, but we just wish that like these it was in some way different so we could like just love it because this movie desperately wants me to love it and i actually kind of really do want to love it it but it just it just the the script in some of the things that it asks of me i'm just like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that like i'm not gonna go there you could have that should have been better you should have done that better there's no reason i should hate Jackie and um and it seems and like we're what's his and Frank yeah it seems I like we hate sh- them but I do hate and it them. seems like we're shitting on seeing Heather here but she's young like she's forty four years old right there's a lot of promise here I oh, I want to feel see as though there needs there I feel as though a couple cycles with the script and reducing it and cutting stuff out and looking through things and asking what works makes us a fucking exceptional movie. Well, maybe movie. it did because um, this is as like as, as like someone who was like writing a book and like who had people like looking at it like there was my advisors and stuff like that would read my book and they'd be like what does this person what does this person want and what does this character want and what does this character want and I think when I was watching this movie I was actively thinking like what does Jackie want and it's like she just wants her daughter to stay here and interpret for her and like what does Frank want like I have no idea but he definitely doesn't want his life to change at all. And, like, what does Leo want? It's like, Leo seems like he wants to take initiative here, but, like, can't because he's deaf. So, like, he's the one think, that gets punished Leo, for being Leo's deaf. Leo's definitely, of that family, the most nuanced outside of him. Right, but it's... It, but the, his... He wants to be a person and, like... His present, his, but it's not... It's present, but it's also not, it's not shown on screen. It's not shown on screen, and it's not developed at all. You know yeah, what I mean? We have it's to... Just re, there. We found it by right. looking at it. And I don't want to, I don't want to, and I don't want to think. And also, why is Mr. V, this really prescient person, suddenly like not realizing that there's a world outside of his fucking choir in Berkeley Music School? But I mean, why does his, right. And there's, so that's the, a movie that I love that transfixes me. I don't worry about the, like the little details about like fishing law and like uh, where, uh, taxpayer money goes to and like how people can afford certain homes and stuff like that but when you're just grasping for some of these subtextual clues to kind of make sense of the emotions that are in the movie and your answers are just kind of make you ask like more questions you just feel like a little off yeah. so I really liked this movie but there are parts of it that I felt just kind of like yeah, like, that's weird. Which is funny. It doesn't fit right. And the reason I think we're we're so, not aghast, but so kind of like frustrated to a degree is because there's a lot of skill behind it. Yes, I think, and let's, because this is a small movie, we're going to put it up on Twitter, 
we're going to hashtag it or add it or whatever. And maybe someone that's associated with this movie listens to it. We really genuinely like this movie. And I actually, I'm going to show it to my wife like later. And I, I know, like, I know how her mind works and she's going to see it and she's going to rip her up. And then she's going to tell like everybody she works with to watch this movie. Um, which I mean, which is guarantee you, fact, none of them have Apple TV Plus, but like. But also, the issue is like, and we've talked about this off, off, off camera. I mean, I cut you off, sorry. But um, no. But um, we've talked about this off podcast. We've seen a shit ton of movies, and so we're now judging movies by like this really nuanced perspective. Yeah. And when we just shit on a movie and like move on, like that's because we don't think there's any. And we know we're just two guys. But you don't think there's anything there. But when we really tarry, not tarry into something, but really delve into something, it's because there's a lot there. And we're just right. like, oh, we wish it went here and here and here. And Which is not fair. No, like, absolutely it's not. The nature of like having a conversation is the nature of this podcast. That like We're just kind of talking about stuff. Yeah. So if you and me were writing like a review of this, obviously we wouldn't say, like we wish you had done these things differently. We would say this worked because of this, and this didn't work because of this, and it has this number associated with it forever. Um, you know, in a splat or a tomate. It would still be a tomate. Definitely yeah. a tomate. Yeah. So it'd be like three out of four stars. It would be four out of five stars. It would be... You know, like I said, B plus B. But there's there's definitely a there's a super talented director here. I don't know how her writing is. Like to be fair, I don't know. I don't I don't think this Apple aesthetic works at all. It it's very um it is very corporate feeling. Yeah. Very algorithmy. Which it's is I think one of the... it just feels It is an aesthetic choice. Well, did you watch any of Finch? No. So I watched like a couple because I watched a couple minutes of Finch because I wanted to test my theory. Finch was the robot movie. It's the robot movie, but not not the boat movie. Not the boat. That's Greyhound, right? Um, This is the robot movie, and no, because Apple TV Plus bought Greyhound. They made Finch. Finch feels the exact same way. It feels like they were like, we got Tom Hanks alone, which has yielded good results. We've got robots and a dog. That's like crunch the numbers. Let's see if that'll move some. But imagine if that robot needles. had just been doing Caleb Landry Jones songs. songs. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Tom Hanks losing his mind. And it was like co-produced no, no, by Sacred Bones Records. But I agree. Like I, I, I look at the aesthetic of this movie and I look at Ted Lasso, which I love. I actually really like Ted Lasso. Like I'm gonna keep Apple TV through. At least the end of like a next month. You're getting um, five dollars yeah. from me, Apple. Congratulations! You because pay for like, your own Apple. Well, I got a trial, but uh, yeah, I would have why? To. Why would I not pay? For why that? aren't you just using mine? Oh well, then I'll end my trial. I thought you were. No, I no. Oh, I don't an Apple. Okay. Well, then Apple, you're getting fucking nothing <laughs> from me because I'm going to cancel my trial. Um. But yeah, uh, they 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 bought Tragedy of Macbeth, right? No, that has me concerned. I'm gonna guess that Joel Cohen is has enough juice that he can make whatever movie he wants. And if he doesn't, Killers of um, whatever Killers of the Flower Moon. I keep wanting to say Sacred Moon. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon's in in deep trouble, which I don't think that movie's gonna be good anyway. Uh, Did I tell you I rewatched Irishman? This no. month? Why did you do that? 
to see. How many times have you watched The Irishman? Three times. I was going to say, it's three. What did you think the third time through? It's still bad. It's still a bad movie. Yeah. I think about it a lot because I talk about it on the podcast. The movie I podcast I, I listen to a lot. don't. I can't. I just keep thinking it can't be as bad as it is, but it is. Yeah, it's terrible. Joe Pesci's good, though. Yeah, so is, um, you know, he's pretty good in it, too. For the little role he has. Harvey Keitel. Stevie. Uh, Stevie. <laughs> Jesus, why did I say Stevie? Steve. Stephen Graham. Oh, yeah. Stephen Graham's not bad in it, right? And in Venom. I did not see Venom uh, Let There Be Carnage. Neither yet. did I, but he's in it, and I'm assuming he's good in it. Uh, <laughs> Le- Venom Let There Be Carnage is now available for rent, and I have like $30 worth of Microsoft money. Uh-huh. And if by the end of the month I watch three movies... From Microsoft, uh, that are over four dollars, I'll get another twenty five hundred points. I'm literally what? just cycling points now. Nice to buy video games. You're living the dream. Movies. You're doing it perfectly. Uh, I, I I thought about renting that, but I I didn't because I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that A twenty four. By the way, if anybody from A twenty four is listening, no, they're not. But if you are, souvenir. Part two. No, don't. It's not you just fucking part two. Cunts. It's all of them. What the fuck, A24 and Sony Pictures Classic? What the fuck? No. no one's going to see your movies. Or, you know what? Release your goddamn movie. Listen, Souvenir Part Two. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about Boiling Point in a second, but we're going to go off on a tangent here. I, would I pre- want to see goddamn Souvenir Part 2. And it's like, it released in October. No, no, fuck this Release shit. Release your goddamn shit would, on VOD. I would pay $30 to see Come On, Come On, literally to, to rent Come On, Come On today. Because I want to see it. That's in theaters, right? That's in nearby theaters. It was in Middletown. And it was in come on, Criterion come on, for Criterion, a week. Yeah. I thought it was still a Criterion. Is it still? It does it have one showing at like 3.45 and 7? I think it leaves this week. Well, that's a movie we kind of have to see because that's getting some talk. No, but I want, I actively want to see it. Now, come on, come on. Uh, uh, come on, come on leaves on Friday from Criterion. Oh, I wonder why. Because they're giving all the theaters to Spider-Man. But I'm guessing that... Actually, sorry. It leaves tomorrow. Yeah. Ooh, it leaves tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Me and Mario are doing things that we do like in private, which is look at screen times <laughs> and try to manage our day. Souvenir Part 2 wins his best picture of the year, according to Sight and Sound. Mm-hmm. We know how I feel about Souvenir. Yeah. Souvenir came out in America in October. Mm-hmm. And was released in like 20 theaters. Yep. And you can't... A24, nobody's going to the movies. In. Movies are... The, the theater Mario. Is, is on the out. Fucking Nine Days came out in June. Okay. I drove up to Plainville to see Nine Days it, with two other people, my wife being one of them, okay? It played there for a week. It played, like, I think a couple of other theaters for, like, a week. It took until November for it to come out on VOD. A24. Why? Tom and I spent $40 to watch Spencer. We did. $40 to watch fucking Spencer. I didn't even finish it. I did. <laughs> I wish I did <laughs> If you release Souvenir Part 2. But I think to your point, I didn't feel bad about $30. it. $30. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll spend $30 to watch Joanna Hogg just fucking do it. Absolutely. I will spend $30 to have my feelings about the first souvenir confirmed. Which is something I really want to do. 
I, and I want to. I want to have that conversation. I want to have it too, Mario. I want to have conversations about all this stuff. There's no reason for this to be happening. It's enough with the movies. Even Ridley Scott. It took him six weeks, but he put Last Duel on demand. Six weeks is nothing. These these indie movie houses are fucking taking forever. Yeah. And for nothing. Just no one's going to see your movie in theaters. Just release it. Wes Anderson did it. The French Dispatch yeah, French, is already out. Yeah, it's 20 bucks. Don't spend it, but, you know, it is available. Don't spend $20 to see French... Literally, don't spend $20 to see the French, French Dispatch. I don't right. know why I can't say that word right now. Because it is bad. Uh, yeah, this next movie is Boiling Point. I'm literally down a corner now. Hey, I'm down a corner. Give me two seconds. All right, stop, 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 stop. I'm looking at What's that say? Oh, dear. It's a fucking joke, isn't it? And it's, it's her true. first week, so it's my responsibility. It's not a first week in any fucking kitchen, though, is it? There's a million kids out there who would die for this fucking opportunity That's that you've been given. Hey, Merry Christmas! Andy, it's time and time Freeman. fucking again. You're not Freeman. doing the orders, Freeman. man. I, I made can't a do mistake. my work. I didn't do them last night, did I? I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. No. If I said sorry, Andy. Hello, mate. Namaste, Hello, chef. Okay. Namaste. Good to see you, mate. Yeah, nice to see you. Hello. Critic Sarah Safford, as you know. Hello, Hello. love. Hi. Well, he brought that fucking shade of thingy with him. The food critic, mate. What's this all about? This is about you taking two hundred thousand fucking Excuse pounds me. off me. Sorry, two hundred thousand. We just have a quick picture, a bit of a fun boy moment, but it's okay. Hey. I am sick of your fuck-ups being blamed on us. I do not fucking like you. They don't like you. Nobody likes you. You've got to do this. You've got to make the right decision and make it right now. Andy, this is your fucking fault, my man. You don't do the press. You don't give a fuck about us. You fucking come and think you're the food. You're a fucking ass. You do the right thing. You go under. And so do I. Welcome back. Did we do the commercial thing? The uh, dun dun dun. Yeah. I don't have my headphones on. Uh, the second film we're going to talk about is the British Independent Film Awards Darling for the year. Oh, is it? Yeah, they, I think it was the most nominated film huh. in the British Independent Film Award, I think. Good I, for them. Don't quote me on that. But um, this with Souvenir Part 2. Do we talk about that yet? I don't know if we have. I feel like we should. We haven't talked about it as a review because we haven't seen it. <laughs> no, we should be talking about like the fact that we haven't seen it yet. Um, Again. Anyway, Boiling Point is a feature-length adaptation of a short film made by Philip Barantina Tini, um, with Stephen Graham. They they made the short film together, and that was really critically hailed. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they made a feature-length film. Um, it details the life of Andy Jones, a head chef of a kind of hip up-and-coming restaurant um, through one of the most stressful days of his life. Uh, he is recently separated from his wife, we can assume. I think so. Yeah, they have a kid. I mean, they're definitely separated, but... I don't know how wife, recent... I don't know how if it's wife or girlfriend. I have to Whatever. assume it's, that it's, it's wife. wife. Yeah. Um, but again, we're making assumptions again. We just yelled at each other for that in the last, yeah. <laughs> the last thing. This entire film takes place in one shot. 
Uh, I think actually when they made this film, there's actually an interesting like production thing behind this. They tried to shoot this movie multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was made during COVID. And oh, okay. Multiple times they had this. They I think they tried nine times to make this, mm-hmm. but they just kept being insecure with the closeness and the proximity of people. Yeah. Because, you know, it's filmed in a restaurant. You gotta fill the... Re- and you have to fill it to make it um, believable. And yeah. so, eventually, they did four shots. Um, they, they say four shots, and they took the third one. Oh, cool. Of this. Uh, and it just details the life of the most stressful day of Andy Jones, the head chef of this restaurant, as he deals with uh, his own life problems, the life problems of his shoe chef, Carla. Mm-hmm. Is he a sous chef? Right? Sous chef, yeah. Uh, I can't remember if she's de- declared his sous chef. Uh, the front of house, uh, Beth, I believe. The manager, yeah, like, the manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know when we just we keep following people and we keep following dramas and eventually things kind of unfold in a really grim, weird, dark way. Uh this. Film is a asterisk fucking Marvel. Hmm. I think it is. You think it's an MCU movie? <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> no, I think I think this film is perfect to a point. Hmm. This movie is so utterly stressful and so well acted, so well scripted. So well directed. It's one shot. Um, until its ending, hmm. its final moment where it kind of falls apart because it falls on the easiest kind of thematic ending possible. Yeah, that was um, the short too. That's how the short ended. Yeah. Uh, so and the I film, felt that way when I was watching the short. So the film ends. Uh, re re follow Andy as he's kind of stressfully dealing with this day. He comes off as a cunt. Best way to describe it early on, but then rehumanize him, we keep following him as he he goes about his things. Uh Alistar Sky, kind of like his purveyor, his I don't necessarily wanna say um It's like a mentor. His mentor? Yeah. I don't I don't wanna say that. Well, they seem like they're of like a similar generation, but maybe like from a chef's perspective, yeah, but, Alistair but, but, made but Alistair, it, Alistair, and then you know he brought a, a really brilliant Jesse Fleming performance, saying like, "I am the business mind, and you're the chef. Like you're the cook." Um, all these things are working really well until we culminate in the finale. Spoiler alerts! This is a spoiler alert. Uh, where we kind of learn that Andy has been an extreme alcoholic. And drug addict, and he presumably dies of a heart attack. He ODs and something. Yeah. ODs and dies of a heart attack at the end after he's said he's going to get help. I'll cut that out. I'll cut the fact that like that ending happens. Um, before then, this film is a mar- is fantastic for mm-hmm. me. I think it is so tightly scripted, so well performed. So insanely consistent with its narrative threads that I was locked in. But interestingly enough, a lot of this movie, I live in the Pivotal Film Towers, guys. Mm -hmm. The Pivotal Film Towers is the 
most brilliant place you've ever been. 120 stories up. Yep. And the top of the towers, the penthouse of the towers is two stories. And you can watch a film from the second floor down. Yep. I had to watch part of this movie from the second floor down because it was so fucking anxiety producing. Mm, that's good. I literally sat. I'm, I'm not kidding. I literally stood over there. I'm pointing now at the... Um, the balcony? The balcony of my second the floor. The upper balcony. Downstairs because I was filled with so much anxiety watching this that I needed some separation yeah. from it. This is the movie the Safdie brothers wish they could make. Mm, that's a dig. It's a dig that I like, Mario. And why is it the movie the Safdie brothers wish they could make? Because it didn't need any extraneous shit. It didn't need sound design. It didn't need the music. It didn't need the editing. It just needed a script. And it needed actors. And it needed a closeness of direction. Mm-hmm. And it was the most uncomfortable feeling fucking movie I've watched in a long time. Mm-hmm. That's all. That, that's what I can say. Because Stephen Graham, who we could say, one of the better actors for me of our time. Well, he's, 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 he's very so, reliable. So reliable. Yeah. But he's not always making... So it's interesting to compare him to someone like Tom Hardy. Because they have the same shape, like... They're both British. Ven- uh, Venom, let there be carnage. Yeah, they're both in Venom, let there be carnage. But they're both like... Stephen Graham's so toxic. And they're... Yeah. He's, a, he's a toxin <laughs> kind of character. They're both... No, but they have like the same kind of frame. And they have the same kind of like demeanor. Like in a lot of their movies. Like they're not angry, but just kind of like really... They have an intensity to them. Um, There's which, a rounding of shoulders. That, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Rounding of shoulders. Always a rounding of shoulders. But they carry themselves in a certain way in, in movies. Not, which is not to say that like one is better than the other. But I do think of them in a, sim, in a, in a similar capacity. Um, I, 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 I kind of wish I had... So my story, I guess, is that I watched the short film first because it was $1.99 on Amazon. And I was like, Cool. I thought I was getting like a deal on the movie, but then it was you the didn't short get the film. MS MS reward points. Yeah, for, I didn't for get spending six dollars no. watching um, the movie itself. It, so I so I watched the short, and I was like, "How are they gonna make this into like a like a?" I'm not watching this for an hour and a half. I almost thought I was gonna turn it off because the short was very, um, uh, like holding up the the auteur chef like model, like the the white male like angry at everybody because his art isn't understood because there's just like a lot of yelling by of white guys at people for not understanding what they're trying to do and accomplish and but then it ends the same way you know what i mean it, it kind of hits the same beats he's got um there's like it's there's more subtext in it so there, uh, there's like a, a, kid, a kid he has a kid that he's not seeing there's people that want um like time off for stuff the dishwasher is late um the front of the house um, Beth in this case um, he's kind of like and he has an antagonistic relationship with her because her dad financed the restaurant um, all this other stuff so the, all that's there in the short and the short is has, Alistar Sky in the he's short not. I would assume he's not um, but douchebags are in the short you know what I mean where he comes Instagram in, influencers I don't know yeah. if they're Instagram influencers they're just oh no, like those, those characters in the short they're friends of Beth's so she's just like oh they're my friends make them whatever I tell you to make them this movie, I think, which which I find I found this movie more fascinating than like intense, 
maybe because I had the misfortune of like watching the short first, so I was like, how are they going to translate this short film into this longer thing piece? And I was like, well, they're going to do this, and 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 that's really fascinating. So now they're Instagram influencers, and they're not related to Beth. So Beth is like a kind of, she's like a sovereign nation unto herself in the restaurant where like nobody seems to like her. Um, you know, she's making her own decisions and everyone's kind of against her and she's just kind of like alone at the front of the house. Um, you know, the sous chef in the short is a, as a guy who's, who's angrier. It seems like than um, Carly. Well, so, Car- no, so, 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 so the so, guy is, so the, ang- it's like Freeman in it's, the film. Um, so yeah. like Freeman has all the anger and Carly's right. kind of representative. But he's, more a, like but the he's right next force. to Andy, so his anger is representative of Andy's anger. So Carly now is between them. So it's, it's like well an interlope. It's interlope. Absolutely. Yeah. And it seems like the reasons that he's angry have less to do with Which is art genius. And it, have more to do with being able to just do his job. Which which I, I, I did not see the short, but I can only assume is kind of the genius of, of expanding it to a feature is the fact that like when Alistar says like bury Carly on this and he doesn't and just like no right. this is my fucking fault so there's which my... is a great scene where she goes like so, walnut oil blah 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 yeah and it's just like walnut oil my I think it's I think it's an excellent I thought it was an excellent movie I had a really good time with it having worked in I didn't work in a restaurant but I worked in like I never fast I've food. never I've you never worked in food service so I worked in fast food for like a little bit of time but like oh so I, I spent 16 to 18 in a Boston market in Subway um, so I don't have like this exact same like the heat of this. At fourteen, I worked in a McDonald's, and that's it. Fourteen, so, worked in a Domino's for a while, but it's pretty laid back. Mm. Yeah, neither of these were laid back, but um, they're more laid back than this. But I also know that like food stuff gets food stuff is interesting. The restaurant setting is interesting because there's a bunch of inherent stresses that come with like working with food and making people food, right? And so in the beginning. In the, in the short, the customers aren't really a part of it, just like in one scene. And in the movie, which I thought was so smart, the kitchen's exposed. So the customers are present like Yeah, because I saw, I saw in the trailer a short, it's like a separate kitchen. Right. And so he goes into the dining room once, and then he comes back, and that's 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 it. But, like but here, being the, out there the dining room is always genius. here, which is um, the way they stage it with the, the you know, the health inspector. Hell, not health inspector. He's like a... I guess he's a health inspector. He's a health inspector. Right? I, I, I can only. But it I looked, like he was like so a private up, health inspector. So I tried to look up what this meant, but I, I don't know what it is, but I assume it was like a general. Can a restaurant go from five stars to three stars because you didn't fill out all the paperwork? I thought it was like a health. I, I assumed it was a health inspector thing. I thought so too, but, but it regardless. might be a British thing because I had also look up a GCSE, which just means high school diploma. Mm. In, it's a general certificate. Of secondary education, when he says like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah," to the guy who's like shucking oysters. Yep. Like GCSE, and I was like, "What the fuck is a GCSE?" Right. Which, Which is also, once again, a great thing about streaming your movies. You can pause a movie and be like, "What does this mean?" Right. Because I'm American, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know, know what, what this means. About. Um, my only f- I, this movie for me has two flaws because I think. Other than these two things, it's an exceptional piece of work. Uh, it's a great use of um, 
we kind of off the camera, we just we talked a little bit about like, the killing of two lovers, and I think it's the same thing where it's a great use of like constraints in making a movie that feels more tense than Uncut Gems. Because when we talked about Uncut Gems, neither all of us were like all the writing is like it's so tense, and neither of us felt tense at all, no, no. except for like the end when I just kind of felt gross at the end of the movie. But that was neither here nor there. But this movie's two flaws is that like it tries to do the thing which these movies always try to do, which is like introduce a bunch of sub narratives to like the main narrative. So there's like the pastry chef, and then like the pastry chef's assistant who is cutting himself. There's like the dishwasher who's pregnant, and then there's the dishwasher who's late and then goes to get drugs and then comes back. Linus gets weed. No, no, but it's not about the drugs. It's just like the it's the the kind of side narrative thing that's going on. I'm okay with. It would, I would have liked to have seen it just, like, contained to, like, the, the narrative well, the, thing. The, the thing that works about, for me, with that... And is, I have questions is, about is that, too, though. The thing that works for me with that is the fact that it is a one-shot movie. Like, you really need those asides to breathe. That's, so that was going to be my exact question. So I, my feeling about the need, the need for them was they're trying to build a narrative tension as to, like, what's going to be the thing that breaks this movie... You know what I mean? Because it's it's all one shot. Which doesn't. Nothing breaks this. Like, well, it does. It, it's, it. The he breaks it at the end when he goes into his office what and it, does the... It, it is bad. No, but that's what I'm saying is that I think the movie is trying to lay lay um, breadcrumbs or different mm. give you options for the thing that will... So there's Carly and her rays. There's... Um, what's his name? Uh, Freeman? Freeman. And like just his general feelings about like you know, how the operation is run. There's obviously Andy and everything that's going on with him. There's Alistair and, like, what's happening at his table. Um, but then there's also the pastry chef. And then there's also, I'm... like, the the dishwasher guy. And there's the French um, the French cook. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, the French. Yeah. And so there's all I'm... these things. It's like, one of these things is going, which one of these things is going to be the thing that, like, because it's not just going to do this forever. Or I'm... the shitty customer. I would have been happy, like, honestly, I was on board with this being my second, and it still might be, my second best movie of the year. Okay. When he dumps out the cocaine and says, like, I'm going to be better. Mm-hmm. Like, end it there. Like, you have, like, I I feel as, I don't know, I feel as though the intensity of the food industry is kind of like a prevalent theme Throughout people's lives, in we've all like, watched like the Food life. Network a lot. Yeah, like Boiling Point, the name of the movie is the name of Gordon Ramsay's like documentary. Mm. It was Boiling Point? Um, oh, the one with him trying to get the Michelin star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, re-end it there when he dumps out the cocaine and pours out the rest of the vodka. Yeah, I guess. Um, he's drinking Smirnoff out of a water bottle the whole time. Yeah, which I. I loved. I loved the little nod of like when he was drinking like the water bottle. I was like, he's not. But he's so good because in the beginning of the movie, and again, I knew from the short that he was drinking vodka. But in the beginning of the movie, and this is why like I don't worry about spoilers because I can still appreciate things. In the beginning of the movie, you're watching um, Stephen Graham just kind of like, like he always like moves his water bottle and like he'll just take these nascent sips from it, like you know, in the middle of a conversation, he'll just be like. Then he'll put it down and then he'll move it again and all this other stuff. But my other so. But really quick, yeah, yeah. when he fell down, I'm like, no, don't do that. Like, you end the movie, he dumps the shit, 
You hear somebody call for Andy. Mm-hmm. He comes, once again, rewriting. But I think this is important because it's, the entire idea of this movie is like, the food service thing's a cycle. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a hard day. There's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. And they keep mentioning, especially with Beth. Both inside the restaurant and outside, yeah. With Beth, like, let's get a drink. Like, that's a big present. She's trying to get a drink. Like, that yeah. really good moment with Carly and Beth. Like, that's, like, the best moment for Well, she's me. just trying to build relationships, yeah. What? But no, I am building relationships. Just like that, that fucking breakdown from Carly. Yeah, where great. Carly tells Beth, like, you Loved it. fucked up. Yep. And you know, uh, Vinette Robinson fucking knocks this. Like everyone, from a performance standpoint, knocks this out of the park. Like this is these are two movies where the performances. Well, work. even even Hannah. But, even Hannah. Like, yeah, go ahead. My my problem is is like it, it feels like it needed to have this a plum ending. And like he collapses, and I'm like, no, fucking, right, don't but, do this. But that's exactly what I'm saying is that the, the movie establishes early on that it's not just going to end normally because it can't, right? It can't just be like from the beginning of, of service to the end of service. But and like you can fucking, fine. you can fucking end it like when he's like the the that great scene where Andy Stephen Graham is fucking losing it to Carly. And Carly's like, I have to leave. And he keeps trying to like say, like, yes, I know. And she's like, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. You end it there. Or end it like with something. Right. Like, let's go back out front to finish serving. You go back to bring it. Like, I don't need. Right. So I don't need this to be the bigot, biggest moment in Andy's life. Right. I need this so, to be something. I need this to be a moment in Andy's life, but I don't need this to be the last day. Of I Andy's think what you're life. saying is that, what, I think what it would have, and I, I, I think I agree with you, is the idea that, like, um, and this is, we're still on my one flaw. The idea that all of these little things probably happen in a restaurant setting like most days. Every time you work at a restaurant, there's something that could, anything that could happen at any given moment that could literally derail whatever you're doing, especially if you're trying to do something very specific. If you're working at a TGI Fridays and you poison somebody, it's not any different than the fact that everybody else that's eaten at TGI Fridays got like super diarrhea or something. You know what I mean? Like it's not like... The end of the world. There's not going to be no more TGI Fridays because you, <laughs> yeah. like, got someone sick from an allergy. But here in this setting, like, it's probably true that, like, you know, it's going to get – there's there's clearly a food critic here. Um, you know, the fact that you uh, gave a customer with a nut allergy a nut and they had – went into anaphylactic shock and had to be, you know, ambulance out of the building um, is, a big, is a big deal. You probably didn't – it's probably clever – you were doing the work of setting up the tension by having all these different things that could cause tension happening simultaneously. You didn't need the payoff of... The movie actually probably works better if it doesn't pay off with him doing a huge line of coke and then like passing out in the thing. It actually probably would have been made more sense narratively for him to do a huge line of coke, take a huge swig of vodka, and then just go back out there to take some more. Don't even... Right? Get, get rid of the coke. Sure. Just just have him... Just... The, the big reveal of the fact that, like, that water bottle's been full of vodka The coke seems... St- even in the short, the coke seems so cheap. And I was like, if this is... Because I kept... It said that it was over in a minute. And I was just like, maybe it's just wrong, and there's going to be another hour of this. And, like, I'm going to... If this... If there is, I'm not going to watch it. Because the Coke seems so cheap in the short. Yeah. It seems cheap here. My other flaw, which I think is is uh, a little bit of a narrative flaw, and I guess related to, a little bit to Coda, is when the woman goes into anaphylactic shock, 
and they bring her out into the to the street. You know what I mean? The ambulance is getting her. Alistair and the food critic are way too present. And I understand that, like, what Alistair's deal is. Like, he just had this conversation with Andy about, like, I'm broke. Like, I gave you the money to, like, start this and I need money now. Cut me in for a certain amount of the profits and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Too, it's too much. Um, the two, there's no reason for them to be out there with them, like, having that conversation. Or there's not no reason to be out there with them. The only reason to be out there with them is, like, the one narrative thing, which is for Alistair to have the conversation, one, like, the ambience, dump. Yeah. Dump this, you know, dump this on Carly. You need this. Well, like adding it, to the des- It's just adding to the desperation. And I think the movie, because we were talking about holding hands before, the movie doesn't trust us, I think, a little bit to feel Andy's desperation. Even up until the last moment, it needs to pile on. Yeah. And I'm just like, and my whole feeling with that was like, you didn't need to keep piling on. He's When he's sitting at the table having that conversation with him, he looks... And sounds and feels piled onto, like there's nothing else you could do to him that was going to that's going to break him here. He already seems as broken as he's ever going to be, and so having sending him into that meeting with his team and then into the office to do coke and, and replenish his vodka um, is already if that's where you want to go, it's already warranted by everything that's happening. It doesn't need that very ham-fisted like. Oh, the food critic for some reason is patting the back of the the girl who went into shock. Like, why is she here? Yeah. Go away! It's got nothing to do with you. But I know they want to put them there. They're there on. They're there for a for dramatic purposes, which is interesting because I think I think both to this movie's failing and to this movie's success is the fact that like these subplots and the subdrama becomes much more interesting than the stuff dealing with Andy and Alistair. Um, right, I think I, that's right. When I look at Andrea and Table Seven, oh my god, like I want that's a nightmare. To follow that, shit. yeah, like the and it's so well done. Like when what's it, Emily? It's Emily and and Table Seven. You're like you kind of like see this guy's response. You're like oh, I don't. There's something here. And then like she leaves, and then Andrea comes back, and they do this super, and this it's a soup like this is almost like the rever- like the inverse kind of effect with Coda, where I feel the script is so fucking tight, very tight, yeah, um, it's great because we establish the fact that uh, Andrea is like college educated, and Emily's kind of just I don't want to say be dismissive of her, but she's like more pursuing, she's pursuing acting, yeah, she's not. We can only assume not as well educated as Andrea. Maybe, I mean, but I, mean, does, I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to insult, but like, like the, the script gives us that. It's a different and then, kind and of then Andrea goes back to that table, and then fucking the guy, the dean, whatever, the bald guy, yeah, just dismisses her because she's black. Right. That's. I'm just like. Looking but what's? I mean, holy. I almost want to ask you what like your favorite part of the table seven experience is. My favorite part of the table seven experience is the fact that like they cook the lamb appropriately and he wants them to cook the fucking shit out of it and then he she's like the kitchen wanted you to know that they traditionally don't cook lamb like this and he's like i know but there's like a fingerprint on like the side of her plate that shit is fucking perfect no it is that that is and this is this is why i think no what's what's great about what's great about that sequence though is that everyone talks down to her what i love about that movie like what I love about all those sequences with Andrea is Andrea is so much in control of what she's doing, mm-hmm. and she knows her job. She knows what she's doing. She's ish. The, 
for, for the most part. I, I think well, but most, so I think she maybe pours the wine wrong. That's, but that's what I'm saying. But there's beyond, a, there's beyond a performance. That. But to, beyond that. Right. Like, she knows. Like, she tells Freeman, yeah, I fucking told them that's how Lamb's supposed to be presented. But nobody right. listens to her. And, like, when she gets shit-talked uh, by um, Carly about, like, put it in the system, it's like, that's not her fucking job. She's a server. She's like a waitress. She's a server. That's, like, Beth's fault. That was and, Beth's and fault. And Beth right. has been presented as... And as a person who, like, knew people in the service industry, like, the shit-blaming of somebody who's, like, sure. better than this job. Yeah. Like, well, that's that's the thing that's, like, almost, like, like I fucking love this so movie. Like, this is my top five movie of the year. So, Martin, right right now, this is my top five movie of the year. Um, And it does these really smart things, because Andrea's presented as so smart and so present. She's, like, a little insecure, but, like, she's, they never do her wrong by going, like, she knows her shit. And then when, like, the payoff of that is her being, like, hey, by the way. Yeah. But, like, you, fi- like, when it finished on the scene of, like, like, he says, like, the thing about the plate and she just rubs it she just goes yeah sorry by the way the chef wants you to know i was like i love that this is why this movie is good because the so what you're talking about is 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 subtext and the movie doesn't go out of its way to give us subtext for that situation but that situation adds then subtext to the rest of the movie because then when there's a problem with a customer we don't necessarily know what the when there's like commotion in the kitchen we don't necessarily know what the commotion... The commotion could be from any number of things. It could be from the Instagram douchebag. Um, it could be from the table that groped the uh, Scottish waiter. It could be from the allergy. Or it could be from table seven. It could be from anyone. You know what I mean? Or it could even be from Alistair if he's like pitching a fit because that table... Which I, which I thought the table that groped um, the Scottish waiter was like a little too much. But I this thought, is where I'm saying it's laying all these. It, the movie is laying all. It's planting all these seeds in your crumbs. And the movie is gonna is kind of suggesting wait till the end to see what blooms. And what blooms has literally nothing to do with anything. And that's and I guess you could say that like it has everything to do with all it of it. But it doesn't feel that way because it never suggested that he was cokehead. I just assumed that I assumed so- he was an alcoholic because we talked about him right. having the booze. Right. And it would have been enough to see him pour the vodka in and then realize the only way he was coping with the day was by drinking. But here's the thing. When he walks into the restaurant for the first time after having that conversation with his wife, blurrily walking through London streets, you know, getting to the restaurant, which is, you know, great shot. That shot stayed so out of focus for so long before it focused up and then even then it's Not very from a shot, Like from a technical perspective great. this movie's fucking amazing yeah. they offer when he gets in there he's like can i get a coffee and they're like oh chef's uh chef's special coffee and he's like yeah and he's like carrying that around and his water bottle i'm just like there's clearly alcohol in that coffee really so there is like oh so i thought alcohol they're like coffee was... but i thought the water was to keep him so the thing that's smart no, about I, this what is I'm like, saying is I thought there was alcohol in the coffee. I did. So too. the idea that he's an alcoholic is not surprising because they kind of said he literally starts his day drinking. But what's smart is the fact that the subversion of the fact that like the alcohol is in the water bottle because the entire time I was looking at the water bottle has a, somebody who has dealt with people who get hungover. Sometimes mm. myself. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, 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 like I needing a water bottle sure. constantly to like fucking rehydrate i just looked at it going like this guy drank a shit ton of that night like the reason he did not order the meat did not do this is because the second he left that night he, he got went drunk. and got fucked up yep 
not I didn't realize until the end like that the like until he starts going to the back that the water bottles had liquor. I always thought the water bottles had a constant replenishing of water because he was so hungover. No, there's the way that and again this is maybe there's like the problem with viewing the short first that I knew it was going to be alcohol in the thing, but like the way that he kind of clings to it and he does if you watch it again, he moves it around a lot. He's always kind of trying oh, to place it in the front does, of it. He does. He does, but like which has is not somebody how you treat has some water. No, that's not true. Has somebody who's like been desperately hung over before I need to know where my water here's is here's the thing though desperately hung over because he, he doesn't go to work until it's dark so he would have had literally to be desperately hung over all day long and he was still like this many hours later like in desperate need of his water okay so let's look at this let's uh, let's look at it from I don't know when London um ends your like when London's cut off point for drinking is but like let's look at new york right mm-hmm. we're close to new york new york says 4 4 a.m is when bars have to close mm-hmm. so like let's say i get fucked up until 4 a.m and i'm still drunk at 4 a.m i'm waking up at 2 p.m hung over as shit i'm probably going into work at five I, that's what i that's what i looked at the movie as he's going in at 5 p.m ish because it's christmas it's a christmas movie by the way <laughs> going at 5 p.m. drunk as shit like not drunk as shit but as hungover as shit right, and I just guess. clinging to his water that's a little bit of, but, it, I, right. but it kind of like from regardless a, of what the but con- from but I'm regardless saying, of the specifics of the context the idea that he desperately requires this bottle for like some uh, um, a level of a certain level of alcoholism is present in both of our arguments yeah no for sure we definitely both agree he's an alcoholic. We know he's an alcoholic. And I think ending does it Carly on Carly f- know he's an alcoholic? Uh no, Freeman does. I, I think Carly you think so? Car- no, because Freeman says you'd stink of alcohol. No, but if Carly says like you should have like you should have called me. You should have called me. It seems very like oh, enabling, oh, yeah. like I know what's going on, but I prefer you be alive than like you know in a bad mood or you know i prefer you be alive and me know about it and you feel like shit than like dead which i think is a great thing about this movie is like the fact that like three months earlier he's a person Mm. like or three i I got that assumption right when the movie starts like like, before the restaurant opens before yeah before all this like there's something that has happened where like everything kind of tumbles down entirely because the assumption we get is like from the reaction from Carly and Freeman is that there's been this sudden drop. In yeah, him as I a agree person. with you. Yep. And you know that's why I find intriguing about this, and that's what bugs me about like the finale of the film being like I think it's just like the introduction of cocaine. Yeah, it's like it's just like nowhere. too much. Um, because this movie works in so many levels, <laughs> so many levels. Huevos Rancheros. <laughs> um, in so many levels is, is the fact that like we have these really great performances. We have all this like nuance with the supporting cast. And then when that like last two minutes happens, I'm like, fuck, don't do that. Right. And it's supposed, I think it's supposed to be like shocking, but it, I'm not necessarily looking to be shocked. But it's like amateur shocking. It's like what a... What I would do in fucking, you know, 
undergraduate college to add a shock into my movie. Yeah, I almost. I think you're right. I almost. I think in what you said earlier about like him, maybe him not even doing it. Maybe of him just kind of like sitting there, and you, there's like the open end is like, what is he, is how is he going to react to everything that's happening? But I think it all would also kind of they could find a way to do it from a film standpoint of showing that like this is a thing that he does maybe like every day. Yeah, I have no problem with him taking like a bump of cocaine because like. Having dealt with people in the industry, like, that's a thing. But, but maybe like, do it sooner. When he fucking, like, end the movie when he dumps everything out. And just, he goes back out and we cut it. And I'm not rewriting the movie. Because, like, literally, when he dumps everything out, we're like, okay, maybe he's going to fix himself. Because that's what the movie gives us, right? Like, maybe he's going to fix himself. Well, but then he dies. I think what's the, I think what the movie should her, the movie kind of does but it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't it doesn't want to commit to the idea for some reason is the is the concept of him for brief moments of his day being very self-aware yeah and i think what the movie's suggesting is that this business and it says it in subtext and like the way that everything's doing is that this business and the presence of Alastair and even the presence of the film review is that this business requires you and the way that I'm you know, digressing the way that Andy deals with his employees um, it requires that you be not self-aware that you put your head down and you just do your job because there's always another table like to turn over there's always another customer there's always another meal to make there's always another salad to dress there's always another pastry to bake there's always another dish to wash there's like just always another one until there's not but the next day, you come in and there's always another one. There's always another one. There's always another one. So there's that, that constant flow of shit. So which, been, is shown, which is shown really well when they talk about like the beef, the not beef log, but like the beef. Bo- they had to throw out all the... Uh, not throw out, but no, when they're talking about like when the Instagram influencers want the steak oh, yeah, they for want the next the steaks, day. Yeah, and yeah. then just like, this is for tomorrow. Right. Um, it has its own kind of... I guess what we're saying is that that inherent um, stress has its own built-in drama. And the presence of the idea that you need to do cocaine and drink to get through it is fine. The idea that it's the climax of your movie, though, um, seems odd. And if the idea was to escape, I think there's a lot of different ways that he could escape that would actually be more dramatic and more in line with the narrative that you've been building, then like if he just left, right? Yeah. If he just left to see his kid, if he was just like, fuck this, like I'm leaving, then you know, it's it's got more dramatic which I, heft than which I don't, which I, I don't think necessarily works, but like No, no, I'm just it, throwing it out there. It works better than what we something, something, which is, something which more is in line with some of the like, stuff that he's been establishing the whole movie. Yeah. And once again, like to stress, like this movie works. Until it stopped working in its last like right. forty seconds, and for me it was like Two the minutes. last like five minutes. Yeah, but like other than that, I think it works. And and even in that last, Stephen Graham is doing some of the best work of the year. Absolutely, I love it. And um, Stephen, by the way, Will Smith, if you're listening, Stephen Graham kicks your fucking ass everywhere. I'm actually becoming very upset, but also I'm thinking more positively about this. Um, Nicholas Cage, if you're listening. Stephen Graham also kicks your ass. Well, that's not... I don't think Nicolas Cage's fault. I think well, no, the that's script that, for that, Pig that's, that's that script and direction fault. But. but I think you're right in the sense that 
there's so much nuance and subtlety, but also like real power underneath and, tr- and trust. Yeah, that he's that he's um, exhibiting here, and it's 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 um, well, the thing that's like thrilling. It's a thrilling piece of acting. You know it's what, a thrilling you know, piece of movie making. You know in a, works in about a very movie, regular. The thing that works about this movie is it feels so collaborative. Yeah, that's a good like, point. Everybody here feels as though they're a part of a team, which is what happens something. in a restaurant. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I didn't never worked in restaurants. Maybe. Oh well, it does. Yeah. I know that it does. I've oft had to wash dishes and cook chickens. Uh, I once worked at a Taco Bell at fourteen for two days, and they asked me to like wash dishes. You had so like many the... jobs when you were fourteen. You could work when you were fourteen. Yeah, in Nevada again. Wow, red state. Not it's anymore. Re- not not. It's purple state now. Um, yeah, no. No, it's probably red state. They're all probably red states. It's a purple state. No, I think Nevada is definitely turning into a. Blue it's state. Going... There's too many people in Vegas. Mm. It's great. Great, but I I I really enjoyed it. No, I I fucking loved it. this. Is my this is my third best movie of the year right now. Yeah, I'm not. It's I, I can't. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I can't qual. I can't quantify any of them. The, the reason point, I'm but. the reason I'm comfortable saying that is because like I'm going to see a bunch of movies mm-hmm. in the next month. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. So, but I think to your point that we were talking about that we were teasing that we were going to talk about at the end here. I think the, the awards. I think the awards institution has a big fucking problem Do in the sense so? that yeah, because it's, so we're, we're talking mostly about so we have the two big awards institutions announced this week in the Critics' Choice Award and the Golden Globes. And by the way, if you only listen to our reviews, you can now tune out. Yeah. My, um, who just listens to the reviews? My, my feeling about the problem is that everything's fairly well established as to what's gonna be nominated. And the problem is that, like, Will Smith and Kristen Stewart are, like, penciled in with, like, fairly hard pencil, like, kind of dug in. To their respective Oscars at this point, which is fucking terrible. I don't under fucking stand it. Like Benedict Cumberbatch, ben, right, so just like all the people that are like gonna be nominated, Benedict Cumberbatch is definitely gonna be nominated, and he definitely deserves to win over whatever Will Smith is doing. No, I don't even know who else is gonna be nominated with Kristen Stewart, but um, fucking what's the name of the actress that plays? Uh, oh, Amelia Jones. 100% deserves to be nominated and win over whatever Kristen Stewart is doing. And she's not. And Spencer. And she's any, not even going to get nominated. Anything. And she didn't even get nominated for an Independent Spirit Award, I don't think. I mean, Emma Stone got nominated for Cruella for the Golden Globes. Which is whatever. Which makes sense, which is what they do, right? But, like, this is, I think, a problem for... I, I just don't think people are watching these movies. Um, and they've never watched the movies. But isn't the idea to find like these actors and actresses and uh, or these just these actors and um, you know lift them up and make sure they they get good roles and and all this other shit like we've kind of done this with Jesse Buckley I guess a little bit but Jesse Buckley got left out of all the major acting awards for um, I'm thinking of ending things which is the fucking stupidest thing I've ever heard. It doesn't even make any sense. And she got nominated for a bunch of British stuff for Wild Rose, but she largely missed all the American stuff. And she was better than most people. And she was replaced by fucking... Was that Renee Zellweger last year? That was two years ago. So yeah, oh, it was so Renee's, yeah but it was Renee what Zellweger. Was, what yeah. was last year? What, what one? Francis McDormand won. But yeah, she beat Viola Davis. I burnt that movie out of my mind. For Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And she beat... 
um, Andra Day for Billie Holiday, and she beat fucking. Look it up. But it just doesn't seem like people are paying any attention. And I think it's... By the way, we will be talking about Nomadland during the best of the year list. Are we going to do that before? We're going to do that well, list of course. ahead of time? Well, of course. Spoilers. Nomadland's in my worst of the year. Are you doing... Uh, your... Vanessa Kirby and um, Carrie Mulligan. And Vanessa Kirby's kind of... Actually, they... Vanessa Kirby and Francis McDormand, the worst... Performances of the year, but I actually think they all probably did better work. Everyone did better Francis work than Francis McDormand because Nomadland's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. You've gone like way far. No, further that's, that's, out. Too, that's too. That's too far. <laughs> then you did. It is not. When we it watched is, it. it, is. It is. <laughs> it is of the movies I've seen in the last year. A movie I did not appreciate. I think it's the problem with Nomadland. We don't need to relitigate this. Is that it's very mediocre. And I think sometimes with mediocrity, you and me have like varying degrees on what kind of mediocrity we'll accept and what kind of mediocrity I we am, won't accept. I am angry when I see a mediocre film and I knew a better film was there. Mm. Like, that, if you've listened to this podcast for the past three years, you know I get angry when I see talented people making bad movies. Yeah. And I think Nomadland is that. I think so too. Um, but um, but I, looking looking at this year, like like there's no fucking reason that Will Smith's in this conversation. There's no reason. It's commitment. Like maybe it's commitment, but like I'm, you know, how are you picking Winston, How are you picking Winston, Will Smith over Winston Duke? I don't know. Um, like, I mean, to be fair, looking at the Golden Globes, we have not seen any of the other. Four nominees, or any three of the nominees. Which are? We have not seen Mahershala Ali in Swan Song. That's next week. We can watch Friday. We haven't seen Javier Bardem in Beating Ricardos Friday. And we haven't seen Denzel Washington in Tragedy Macbeth. I'm assuming uh, it'll be Christmas good. Day, basically. But I'm to the point with Denzel Washington. But I don't like, know how you feel like, now. That like it's, I'm sure it's going to be good. But it's the same thing with Fences. Fences was good for two thirds of the movie, and then he Denzel Washington all over the place, I'm, and it, which was good, but it's also not like super interesting anymore. And I guess what I'm asking for from acting performances but, like, is to have more interesting things happen. But literally, we have seen enough movies this year before we've even delved into whatever stage uh, movies of the right. year to knock Will Smith out of the list. Yes. He wasn't Will Smith's even on... the worst part of his own movie. Well, yeah, yeah Will I guess Smith's he is. the worst acting performance of his own movie. Yeah, I mean, there's the score and there's like the very on the nose. But in terms of acting performances. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't even say he's necessarily bad. Just the thing he's that he's. So serviceable. The things that he's committed to are not uh, revelatory in any way. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and he's not adding any nuance to the character. The nuance, to, uh, and this is again, this is an interesting coda conversation. The nuance to that character all gets added in the script and the way people act around him. He is sans nuance, like on every level. Yeah. But like you give, and this is this is so we're, what we're heading into is a, like a situation where, or where the, where the Rami Malek, I guess that Jamie Foxx kind of started this too. Rami Malek, Jamie Foxx. Even goddamn fucking Gary Oldman for the Darkest Hour. Oh my god! Like put that on the list of Oscar travesties. That like, you know, it, because it's Gary Oldman, we forgive it. But he was that movie is terrible, and he is terrible in that movie. 
I mean, he's just doing a Winston Churchill impersonation. Like, a, you know, a Saturday Night Live sketch for two hours with digital floating paper and no sweat. Um, and that's where we are now with I'm these... Re- I'm ready for my hot take, by the way. With these Whenever roles. Um, I'm, 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 I'm just about there. And, and, and that, like, that bugs me. It bugs me that, like, we can't anymore see, like, a nuanced performance. So all the people that are getting nominated for Best Actress are without nuance... Or, or that, like, you know, are slated to get nominated for Best Actress or penciled in for Best Actress are without nuance, too. This is, this is, my, this is my new argument for Best Actress. This is a hot take? No, this is not my hot take. Okay. My hot take is about both of us. Um, my <laughs> hot take is about actresses. I feel as though most people that vote in this are men. And mm. so they just look at, like, what's the most ostentatious performance we've seen? Like, there's really no reason after seeing Eyes of Tammy Faye that Jessica Chastain, as a person who loves Jessica Chastain, should be in the conversation. Who gives Jessica Chastain, and we both give Jessica Chastain all the opportunities like to prove us wrong. Scenes of the marriage, Jessica Chastain, fucking great. She's okay. I think it's a script thing. Okay, that's that's fine. But, but she's like, okay. Really solid. Yes. Eyes of Tana, Tammy Faye, that movie needs to be burnt and forgotten forever. Ooh, that movie. Did you also watch that movie? Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Ooh. But again, this is. I don't know. It's not Jessica Chastain's fault. It's just Michael Showalter's right. fault. Right. Stop giving Michael Showalter. Like, everyone's just like, oh, this has to be a thing, right? Well, the same thing with House of Gucci, which we haven't seen yet, but they're just like, well, she's acting really hard. It's like, so? Is it any good? Jared Leto is acting really hard. It's like, so? Is it any good? It feels as though... You know who's not acting hard? It feels as though the critical establishment looks at women actors and goes like, who's acting? Who's giving it, like, the gut acting feel and it's like you don't do that with men no they don't that's just bullshit it's like the fact that like I'm gonna be honest like the past like like the entire time we've done this movie awards thing the actresses have been way easier for me than the men because they're having to do more to like be realized as performances I found that they're harder because there's less like there's less good ones but I found that the ones that are the perform like because just Hollywood is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. So we're still not writing great parts for for women yet. But like when they're good, they hit really hard. You know what I mean? Like Jesse Buckley, I'm thinking of anything. Haley Bennett and Swallow, um, like these are not like easy performances, and they're very they're uncomfortable and they're difficult and they're nuanced and they're deep. Um, and they're better than anything Kristen Stewart is doing in Spencer. Like, times a million. Um, and that's why, I, you know, we talked about The Lost uh, lost Daughter. No, sorry, yeah. I have no doubt that that movie is going to be a deep fucking movie. Because Maggie Gyllenhaal is a deep filmmaker. Like, I don't you know. I know you don't like Kierkegaard Teacher, but like, I right. remember I Absolutely. felt like a lot of she's giving, stuff was she's there. She's fucking giving some shit to that movie. She always does. Olivia Coleman always gives some stuff. Jesse Buckley always gives some stuff. There's going to be a, so much depth to that movie that it's probably going to... Is Jesse Buckley in? Yeah. Lost Daughter? Yeah. And the same thing with Parallel Mothers. Pedro Almodovar, always, there's always just this depth. And especially when Penelope Cruz is in his movie, there's a depth that he is that is not present Pedro Almodovar just says actors act right that's but all he's, he but needs. they give the, what he's written how he directs and what they're doing is 
presents with depth. And I think my problem with King Richard and my problem with Spencer and particularly Will Smith and Kristen Stewart's performance in those is that there's no depth to either of their performances. Well, no, you know what fucking bugs me about King Richard? And I, I, I spoke about this in the King Richard review is the fact that like Ellis and Sydney are fucking phenomenally better actors than yep. fucking Will Smith is. Will Smith, spoilers, is a fine actor. He's not good. He's a fine actor. Yeah. He's, he's not great. How about this? He's a good actor. He's not great. Right. But like, this we're not talking about uh, Anjou Ellis. Andre. And we're not talking about... Um, uh, Anjou uh, Ellis. Anjou Ellis. And we're not talking about uh, Senua, Sydney? Mm-hmm. Who fucking act circles around him. Yeah. Who own him. Like, who own him. And, yeah, he's serviceable in lifting those performances up. But suddenly we're just like, no, Smith. He had a beard and a limp. And he Fuck held him. his arm that weird. performance is... <sighs> I'm so mad. But that now, performance is fine. A, but would you be as mad... And I guess this is, this is a pertinent question. I'm interested to hear your hot take. Would you be as mad if he wasn't... Again, hard penciled in as the, I don't care. the winner of the war. No, I don't care. But I, I, I care when we have these like garbage fucking super over-the-top women performances being our nominees. Like when I look at the Critics' Choice Awards and I see Jessica Chastain and I see fucking Lady Gaga and I see Kristen Stewart. Like To be fair, I will take back Lady Gaga because I haven't seen House of Gucci. But, like, women performances always have to have, like, so much. Like, Olivia Coleman in The Favorite is fine, but it's a lot. But she's also great. She's great, but it's not nuanced. Would you have preferred you don't, the, the wife? You don't. But, no, the, my problem is, is we do not fucking award nuanced women performances at all. No. We don't. No, but this is a conversation that I was having the I mean, other day. why the fuck? Who won Best Supporting Actress last year? Um, the grandmother from Minari. Oh, that's pretty good. She's but pretty like, nuanced, but she's also not very nuanced. It's not nuanced. She's got the big laughs. I don't remember what I gave my best supporting actress to last year, but like Olivia Coleman from The Father. Like, yeah. obviously, I'm looking at this from a year later. Yeah. Well, obviously, Father's actually this year for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, why wasn't that so strongly and? This is not to discredit, like, the that not was actually a really good performance. Yeah. So, but what I'm just trying to say is, like, there's a real need to be, like, overture. What, I'm th- what, what I think you're talking about is not a year-to-year thing. Neither of us are arguing from a year-to-year perspective. We're just thinking about the way that, role, like, film performances are interpreted, like, recently. Over the last, like, five years or so. Is that they've seemed to demand, that if, if you want an award, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And if you're not going to do X, Y, and Z, then you're going to get relegated to nomination or, like, conversation for a nomination. But, like, that's as far as it's going to go. I mean, why is Ruth Nega... Like, so, Ruth Nega got nominated for a Globe, I Which think? is good. Globe, which, is which is positive. Is because genius. she was not... On, she was not on the list of people who get nominated for an actor, um, a Best Supporting Actress Award for the Oscars until she got which nominated for this. real positive. So now she's probably going to get nominated. Performance is... I don't think she does. I would hope so. But I think that's a really nuanced performance, but I think it gets lost in the volume. Which is a shame because it's, it's from a volume perspective, it's 
It's even louder than all the loud stuff that's happening above her, but it's it's beautiful and transcendent and yeah. full of subtext and nuance um, in ways that you know. Judy Dench is great. But men can Judy Dench is fine men, in Belfast, but men can fuck, and that's that's my problem. Men like men can do nuance, women can't. To an extent, like also What's your to hot an extent. Take? My hot, my hot take is like why? Oh, so this is completely different from. Oh, it is my argument. That oh, I'm okay. Making right now, um, that's my issue. My issue is like there is a real dominance this year of male voices in women performances. How is it any different than any other year? I don't. I don't know. Not has, to put has, you on the has, spot, has, but has, it's, has, that, has that been? Doing this podcast, and I've been like going like, yeah. I've been looking at these movies, going like, yeah, the women, like Nightingale wins my best picture, Portrait of a Lady on Fire wins my picture. Um, but those aren't the same. They're not the same. But I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm saying they're not the same for you. No, no, I'm not saying. No, no, I know. Yeah. But I'm just trying to say. Um. Is the fact that there's like this variance in how we view performances, mm-hmm. and it, getting to the point where it's just like fucking doesn't make sense to me. Uh, yeah, I think it's I I I, um, I agree with you, and I think it's to the point too where, um, like, I, what made me saddest about last year. I know what I just said that we're I don't want to talk about it in a vacuum, but I think it's over and over and over again. Is that like, um. My traditional minority actors and actresses, um, you know, black, Asian, um, Hispanic, although not a lot of Hispanic people are winning Oscars, are allowed to win supporting, like, you know, actor, actresses awards, but like, they're not allowed to win actor awards. So like, Viola Davis can win Fences, supporting for Fences, but she can't win actress for Marini's Black Bottom. No. You know what I mean? Or she can't win actress for Widows. Or she can't win actress for, like, literally I mean, anything else that she does. By by our definition, Viola Davis has won how many awards? But, but, Probably like a thousand. But we're not, that's the thing. We're not looking at, I think the problem with all of these institutions is that they're, they're looked at from a collective perspective. And the collective perspective is skewed toward a certain perspective. And you and me, and I'm going to be, and you it's kind of. Skewed, it's skewed you towards like said this it. really male, white. Yes, and you said it about like doing this podcast. And it's one of the reasons that I think like after we do our best of the year awards, we're going to do this podcast a little more sparingly is because I don't really like watching movies like this anymore because it just makes me feel shitty because I, I don't like watching movies. I don't like watching movies attached to the culture anymore. I like watching movies on my own terms because yeah. my terms are different than the culture's terms. And I think that's one of the things that I think we're getting to on this podcast a little bit is that like we have our own terms and stuff like that, but we're still kind of attached to like a little Which bit. Which are better than everyone else's. I think so, but we're a little bit attached to the machinery because in every movie podcast is, and we talked about this off, off air too, um, because like the content keeps coming out and then we just keep responding to the content. And this is the content that we're given. So we're looking at these best of lists. We, what was it? Slate. And we're like, we've never heard of this movie. I haven't heard of this movie. I haven't heard of this movie. I haven't heard of this movie. That's coming upon us to go out and like find those movies because like the industry 
or the standard film industry um, is not showing us those movies. They're not. It's not good. It's, I but hate it's, it. I hate but it. It's, I which, which I hate, but I'm also excited about because it opens up a world of movies. And that's why I want to go right. And but that it, everything takes longer. It's got. You got to find it. It's not just right there. I mean, it's like to, it's not to bring expensive. in a wrestling thing, but like for the entire universe of wrestling for the past 10 years has been WWE and all of a sudden AEW comes along and is like here's something else and right. it's like this is what's been like movies for like the past couple of years it's just been like here's a world of stuff and for us as like movie previewers quote unquote, um, it's overwhelming because there's so much shit to watch and like it's overwhelming because we're like when we do our the two of us, when we do our best of the year review, like we want to have seen what is the best. Well, I guess we want to see what's the best, but we also want to have like our asses kicked. Yeah. Like I don't want to see but the normal have, stuff. We, but I don't we want, want to have a nuance. We want to right. have a real nuance and we want to have a real clarity and we want to say like, this is the best for this. If somebody says like, is this better? And we watch it and we're like, ah. And like, if it is better, I, I want to say like, I will feel like I fucked up because I didn't watch it before. Well, I guess I wouldn't say. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't say that necessarily. For being, I, um, I feel like a real responsibility to have seen. I don't feel that same responsibility. I feel a responsibility towards myself to have an honest opinion that's not informed by like whatever like everybody else is doing yeah. so i want that's so that's why like we talked which this tom up. will see when i show my, my best of yeah. the year song list um, after this podcast is over when we're waiting for sam well so the, but this is a this is a different uh this is like attached to the conversation so you like i think i've listened to i have not listened to 20 albums this year we had this conversation via text message you said what is it 800 like on spotify yeah i've listened to 800 um over 800. And I'm perfectly... I think I listen to too many records. Like, because most of the records that I listen to, I don't, like, give a shit about. And, like, the couple records that I, like, listen to that I care deeply about, I just I just listen to those records. And I think it's this, it's become the same thing with movies. And I think the list has actually kind of put that in a very stark perspective in the sense that, like, for a number of years... My film taste was informed by what my film taste used to be. And then as I started digging deeper into what informed my taste in films, my taste in fi- I found my taste in films growing or or coalescing into something very specific, which is similar to what my current taste in music is, to what my current taste in books is. Um, and now, like, which is not to say that I would throw out my hundred like favorite films on our pivotal film list, but they definitely are um, the preferences of a person, of a film watcher who I'm not sure exists anymore. And that's a really odd, that's a really odd place to find myself. And this, this is, this is where my hot take comes in. So my hot take comes in, in the fact that like, we look at our best supporting actors. We look at Jamie Dorn and we look at Kieran Hines from Belfast, Mm -hmm. and, like, we look at the litness of award shows, and they keep popping up together. Mm -hmm. They keep popping up together, and they keep popping up together, and there's different voters. My hot take is necessarily, like, those two act their asses off in that movie. Yeah, they're fine. The police are coming. (laughs) (laughs) 
but in a world with individual voices, we don't see them constantly popping up together. No, not at all. Like one of them here, one of them there. Mm-hmm. But like Reeve becomes so monotonous in our necessary voices of like, this is the best. Right. You know, like fucking Olivia Rodrigo. I'm going to shit on her right now because this is my one chance to do it. Sour is a fucking terrible album. But I won't say that. But I will. I do say that. But like, we will not. Like, there is not a litmus test by which a totality of people agree on the same thing mm-hmm. to the degree by which they do. Right. And it bugs me. That we've become a world where it's like, yeah, this is the best of the best. Why does it bug you? Because it bugs me too. But I'm so I'm curious, and I but I've thought about it a lot. I'm just curious, like what you why the reason it bugs it, the, the only reason it bugs me, I don't care about like the reason it bugs me is like when a movie I care about loses best whatever, I don't care. But we bury so much really good art. Beneath this, like, tableau of, like, everything else. Yep. Like, when something that's not as critically, commonly hailed wins something, mm-hmm. like, that gives it some inertia, right? Mm-hmm. Gives it some power to, like, some money. Gives it weight. Yeah. Some weight to, like, carry through. But, like, when everything becomes... When the tableau becomes so... I don't know. Boilerplate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, boilerplate's a good word. Um, nothing new happens. Yeah, and I... And, I That's and, a bummer. I, I don't care. And I'm not... I mean, like... I don't Nomadland really... winning Best Picture doesn't bug me, but, like, the fact that, like, everyone just said Nomadland's Best Picture of the Year instead of, like, somebody going, like, nah, this movie's a better Is it? picture. Right. Well, even the people that said it wasn't, like, did have it, like, lower on their lists. Um... For me, it's it's more that I don't I don't love feeling like completely out of touch with culture, and I don't for music because I think um, I have no idea what's going on there. And <laughs> just I, just waiting for here's my top fifteen right, songs. Right, this is year. not a criticism of you. I have no idea what's going on, but I generally think that everybody is wrong, and which is to say that every list I've looked at, well, and I've f- listened to like a couple. Of, I've listened to like. You know, I see a, a record and I'm like, that looks like a good cover. And they describe this well. I listen to it. It's like, oh, that sounds like everything else. They're just picking different adjectives well, to the describe moral whatever's sto- happening. The moral of the story is like, it's art. Nothing's right. Nothing's right. But I, so I used to feel, even when I was kind of like, I like underneath Billie Eilish. The culture. Yes. I'm not gonna say she's great. She's fine. That record stinks. But um, that record is actually bad. But, but I agree. Again, and I don't get, I don't get that. But again, I'm not, I'm not. I like 19. No I like the song "No Time to Die." Though. Um, so because she was just on SNL, and I don't understand those songs. And my wife was like, "What do you think of this?" And I was like, "I don't really get it." She acted her like she, I mean, she's she acting wise. She's she fucking kind of nailed it though. Oh, she's horrible. Actress. You think so? Oh my god, really? Well, that's what I said when I they, I saw that she was hosting. I was like, "How can someone that has no personality host a comedy show?" And I was pr- proved right. In I, thought she, I thought she. I thought she. I thought You know tried. when she was good when she was acting her age. Yeah. No. When I like agree. she was just being, uh, or not even like her age, but like her generation yeah. from like eighteen to like twenty four. Anytime she tried to go over that, and she was just like, Phew. Heidi Gardner was just like eating her alive. 
She's charismatic. She has she has a charisma it, under the right circumstances, yeah. which I don't think is necessarily charisma. And I, so that's to a, the Olivia Rodrigo point. My daughter watches a lot of High School Musical and Musical the Series, and I know that, which is like the Disney show that she was on. She is a just a fucking bucket of charisma. I don't think her songs are any good, and she's clearly ripping off everybody that ever did anything any, at all like that that came before her, and everyone's just forgotten that these people ever existed. But whatever, you know what I mean? But that's how I feel. That's the stuff that makes me feel out of touch with the culture. When I listen to Olivia Rodrigo and I say, like, this isn't really that good. And then I read reviews of Olivia Rodrigo saying, this isn't really that good, except for the fact that it's totally defining music today and is the fourth best album of the year. And I was like, how is that possible? How is it possible that a record that you just said isn't very good is the defining record of the year? Like I don't really, I don't really get that. And before it used to be, my my attachment to this argument has always been the Blink One Eighty Two record, um, "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket." Uh, no, it's terrible. It's a terrible record. But when I was working at the record, actually, it's so it's, it's a terrible. There's two record. good songs. It's a terrible record for me. No, it's a bad record. It's just it's a, it's a replacement for the but, fact that like nobody wanted to love Adam of the State. But here's what I was gonna say: is that that's. Exactly how I felt when that record came out and was getting like, all these good reviews. And the reviews were, this is a grown-up Blink-182 record. And we're happy to have a grown-up Blink-182 record. Because they write catchy songs. They're not Sum 41. They're replacing... There was no Sum 41 when Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Yeah, there was. Was there really? They're huge. Yeah, absolutely. All killer, no filler. Um, oh. Yeah. Um... I didn't care about music until two years ago, so I will not debate that. But like, so it was it was like a Weezer replacement because Weezer released a Green album like very like recently, but that no. was like in this around the same time. But like, all people wanted was pop rock, and like heavy pop rock that had a little bit of a reverence to it, and it didn't exist in two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. And Blink One Eighty Two was like, yeah, we'll do it. It's fine, and we'll do it professionally. And everyone like wet themselves over it, and I was like, in my mind, I was like, I get it. For the longest time, I was like, yo, yeah, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket is a good record. But it's only good in the context of like the culture in which it was introduced to. And I feel like it's some of the things that we're ha- it's happening with music now, and it's happening... The perception is that it's happening with movies now, because no one will shut the fuck up about movies being dead. Guess what? Movies aren't dead. The Killing of Two Lovers is a great movie. Coda is a very good movie. Boiling Point well, is, is a great a movie, movie yeah. and these are small movies. Like we're, sh- we're 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 saying bad things about it, but like we're being very nuanced about right. our opinions yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, they're very small things, and it's had I had I just like popped on Boiling Point or Coda because I was drunk and want or high and because I smoke weed mm-hmm. and wanted to watch parents uh, <laughs> wanted to watch something, I would have been fucking happy. Yeah. And I think it's 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 the culture for some reason has moved from a criticism standpoint. And this is why, even though Armand White is literally insane, I keep reading his stuff because he's a dissenting voice in a wilderness of voices that like kind of refuse to dissent. And what they will dissent on is like you're not. It's the Ghostbusters dissension. You know what I mean? We're like you're not viewing Ghostbusters right. And so now we're like we're still. They think they're doing something different, but in reality, they're all doing the same thing. They're making the same arguments. I mean... You're just not doing it right. The way... 
I would just say re ultimately view movies as did we enjoy it still. Like that's yeah. all that matters. Did it it's in, I, I mean re may be more nuanced in the sense of like afterwards, like once you passed the threshold of did we enjoy it? Sure. You deal with the fucking tidal wave of like Okay, we've seen too many movies. Now, how do we compare this? Mm-hmm. But right. the second you pass that threshold of like, did we have a fun time? Like, that's the battle. Well, and Everything for, else past that doesn't matter. Right. And for me, it's always just like, did it move me? And the problem with last year was like, nothing really moved me. There was a lot of good stuff last year, but it was good. My, you know problem, I mean? my it, problem was a movie moved me too much and it ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> um... But that's but in a way that's a good thing. You know what I mean? No, it, it was the, it was ha- the perfect thing. For and me. I'm happy to have and I happened. I mean, I haven't been able to watch that movie since then. I watched it once. And Interesting. It I feel like that's a separate podcast, and I feel like our audience would love for us to do another Portrait of a Lady on Fire podcast nope. somehow. Not gonna do it. Um, but that's the thing. So in this year, I found a movie that moved me, and I've been moved a bunch of other times. Like I Coda moved me. So I Coda. I don't know where Coda would fall on my list, but I was so moved by certain sections of that movie that I'm gonna remember them. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they're gonna stick with me. And all I want to do is be moved. But I wasn't moved during King Richard, at least not by anything that Will Smith was doing. I wasn't moved except to shit during Spencer. You know what I mean? Like I can't even you, imagine you. you. You had to take a shit during Spencer. Yeah, that um, you're like, Bruh. I ate lunch. I was eating lunch and I was I finished it. and I was like sitting there and I was like, I got a shit. I just let it go. You know, it's interesting. I didn't even pause it. I was just like, it's happening know, in the background. Fuck this movie. You know, it actually happened during Spencer for me. This is the funny thing is I watched Spencer and Sean Harris acted and I was like, I kind of want to give him best supporting actor. In the movie <laughs> for I was like, I was like, I watched this going like he's doing a good thing about this. And I really liked him in Green Lantern. Can I justify giving... Not Green Lantern, Jesus. Uh, Green Knight. Can I justify giving him a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Green Knight because he's the only thing about this movie I like? See, I did, had like a similar thing where I was just like... I saw I Timothy really, Spall and I was like... Spoilers. I really love Sean Harris. Yeah. I, what you know if, if you listen to that episode if you've seen any episode with me of Mission Impossible um, I had the same thing with like when I was watching it when Timothy Spall Timothy Spall's also great in that yeah no but I was just like can I just find a way to get JMW can I find a way to get Mr. Turner into like our conversation this year because I just really want to watch Mr. it makes me want to watch Mr. Turner could you imagine it if it had not been, watch this movie ever again could you imagine again? if it just been Timothy Spall's character and Sean Harris's character just chatting about Diana for the movie. That's a really good movie. So one of the things, but here's one of the things that I was thinking about after we watched Diana is I was thinking about Downton Abbey because obviously this movie is just a ripoff of everything that Downton Abbey tried to do, but with Princess That's Diana right. at the center yeah. of it. Um, it. It was a it was self aware, which Spencer is not. It was um, had subtext to like everything that was happening. <laughs> so like there was a there was an inherent drama other than like. Princess Diana is alive. Well, the problem... In it. The problem... You know what I mean? And all this movie has is her, that. The problem with our review of Spencer is we watched it in the same week as we watched Power of the Dog. Whereas Jane Campion probably... I mean, she doesn't make movies I like. But one of the... One she of make the, movies that you respect, though. Yeah, respect. Because she's one of the more talented directors living. 
And she has such control over everything. She has a Whereas voice. Pablo Lorraine. Lorraine. Who yep. fucking cares? Go fuck yourself. Jackie sucked also. Um, you also made a movie between that. I'm not going to watch it because you're a bad director. Go fuck yourself. Um, Mario's crossed the threshold. I've watched Jackie and I've watched Spencer. They were both bad. Earned my trust somehow. Um, there was no voice in those movies, and like rewatched them the same. Like rewatched that with Power of the Dog, and there's some control of of vision. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and maybe we'll end here if we have like an hour, another hour. Like that's fine too. I've not been able to stop thinking about. Um, the ways in which um, George and Phil travel in Power of the Dog mm. is that Phil or George is always traveling by car on road, and Phil is always traveling on foot or horseback into mountains. That movie's really fucking good, right? You know what I mean? I really hate the fact that Netflix made a movie that like I'm thinking about still, and that you almost kind of want to go see in a theater. I kind of do just to see yeah, what it looks, just to nah. see what it feels like. I hate movies theaters, but. Just see what it feels like. Um, but not that good. Spencer, I'm thinking about how gratuitous, like some of the shots of Di- like Diana eating her pearls. Why? Spencer, I'm thinking about nothing because that movie has left my mind a week. Ago. So I, and that's the thing. I'm just kind of I'm trying to puzzle out like choices. Like well, not, I'm trying no, because to one person like marvel at like the subtlety of. The the no. like the subtext of no, something. No, the easy answer is Jane Campion made the piano, which I don't necessarily like, but I respect because she's a good director. Pablo Lorraine's not a good director; he's a bad director. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm just making the point. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to puzzle out subtext to create additional meaning in something that I find fascinating. And then the other one, I'm just trying to like say like, why does this exist? In this way. Yeah, because one person doesn't make good movies and the other person does. I mean, what you're saying is like a nice way of saying what I'm saying. (laughs) Pablo Rain, just stop making movies. Jane Campion, maybe ramp it up a bit. No, no, this is good. No, no, actually, Jane Campion, never mind. Just do what what you're doing doing. what you're doing because I'm an idiot. But like Pablo Rain, I'm smarter than you. Stop making movies. Here's a Jane Campion. All right, so let's let's tie it all together, okay? The problem, the, the problem with what you're saying, not for me, but from a culture standpoint, is that you know what happens to actresses in Pablo Lorraine movies? They get nominated for Oscars. So he's always going to have a movie to make. Huh. Because there's always going to be an actor that wants to work with him. And it will be forgotten immediately the next year. Because nobody have, remembers Jackie. But they'll have that, they'll have that credential. If you, ask, if you ask somebody, Natalie Portman, what was she nominated for? They will say, oh, Black Swan. They will not say Jackie. Well, yeah, because that movie's fucking forgotten. But she's, but she's interesting in Jackie. She's no, she is. Jackie. No, but... And, because she goes for it. Because she's, yeah. she's decided on an... Abs- so, and this is different. And Kristen Stewart is definitely a better actress than Pablo Lorraine deserves. But we didn't talk about this when we talked about Spencer. Is that I think the difference between the Kristen Stewart performance and, and the... Um, uh, Natalie Portman performance is that Natalie Portman is is aware of the absurdity of what she's trying to do to do a Jackie Onassis accent and um, I use the word countenance off air before to have her countenance and stuff like that to like to 
become her in a certain way has a certain level of absurdity to it. You know what I mean? Which I think the the, the autobiography of Jackie Onassis would support. You know what I mean? Like Which, what the situations that she was trying to put that she was put in and that she was putting herself in to her were absurd. What Jack uh, Spencer kind of does the same thing, except that she. Kristen Stewart seems completely unaware of the absurdity. No, of no, no. I would say <coughs> Kristen Stewart is a really solid actress, but does what is demanded of her by a director. She is a really great actress. So you're saying the choices that she makes aren't her choices? I don't feel as... Because, like, look at Cloud... In Spencer. Yeah, In yeah. Spencer. Um, I mean, maybe to a degree, but, like, whatever is happening here is not being reined... If it is her own choices, it's not being defined by... It's not being controlled by direction, right? Well, right, because I think in Spencer, and then we're kind of off because the topic we, now. Look at Personal Shopper. Like, yeah. Personal Shopper has a real... Who directed... I don't remember off the top of my head who directed Asaius? Personal Shopper. I think it's Asaius? No, right? that's, that was Klaus of Silsmaria. Yeah. Um, but Personal Shopper has this, like, real vulnerability to it. Right? Yep. That like Spencer has this really tight control of direction to it, which I felt like. Jackie... Oh, it's a Sayus too. Yeah. Oh, is it personal shopper Sayus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, whereas like Jackie has this demand of like a it, it demands a tight control, but like there's a fight against it. But I feel as though Kristen Stewart, who's an amazing actress, is going to act to what her director demands. Which is not a negative against her, but she's going to direct. It's not a negative she's going her. to act to like what is demanded of her. But I think the fight that she's decided to pick in she's also Spencer, like thirty-two years old, so. right? I think this fight that she's decided to pick in Spencer, and we can, I guess, we can close it out whenever. Is that? Um, but like this, she's, is, this is where our podcast. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it's like she's when we just fuck fighting off against her character is fighting against the establishment while simultaneously being eaten alive by the establishment. And I think the difference is that between Diana and, and Kristen Stewart's portrayal of Diana is that we know because we're not we weren't born under rocks. We know that Diana wins against the like the royals. You know yeah. what I mean? She divorces Charles. She establishes her own life. What happens to her is a tragedy, but it has nothing to do with like the stuff that was with, happening to with her the royals, right, yeah. with that moment. I never got the impression from watching Spencer that there was a mo- that she was ever going to win. You know what I mean? So she goes, she acts it knowing. So she's got this fey kind of affectation, Faux. which suggests Kristen Stewart. You said, you said fey. No. no, no, I'm saying I mean fey like twee, like like like. Huh, huh, huh. Yeah, she's so she's doing this thing the whole I time. Don't where she, even know the word fey. Oh, you probably do. Um, I'm very dumb. She's doing this affectation the whole time where it seems like she's just kind of being like overwhelmed and consumed and she doesn't know what to do about it. Even arguments with Charles that she should win, she's not winning. And even when like the Queen Mother... trying to over-direct that fucking... Oh my God, it's disgusting. And even when like, she's, you know, having... When the Queen Mother says something to her that like um, agrees with her point of view, she loses that argument because yeah. she's such a big... She plays her as this big nothing burger. You know a big what I mean? Nancy. Maybe like a, a little bit. I guess so. She's just very. Like, I mean, that's that's how I felt. She's like very watching that movie. Underwhelming. Like she, and I feel like we feels know, like a Nancy. She needs to be. She needs to be standing up 
She needs to be trying to stand up against these people, and she she never does. She constantly is just kind of being well, it's a, it's a movie. Down. It's a movie that demands her to be like, because with that last like song or whatever performance with it, um, mm-hmm. I forgot what song that plays, but like it demands her to be like an ostentatious sort of like opposition opposition to yeah. what is being presented and instead Jesus like is more of the same well I feel like this is this, this speaks directly to the Pearl scene where I think a different Which actress the worst oh it's horrible but I think it di- be, I think it's because a different actress plays that not as a desperate compulsion but as an act of aggression against like everybody around her Ooh, and she doesn't like pl- she doesn't play it like that she like plays that. it like it's I don't want to do this, but I have to. I have to do it. Versus like an angry, Versus like, staring, fuck you. and fuck you get you. like sound design right. where she's grinding, right? Ooh. And then she's staggering down the hallway like all sick and shit, and like which is fine, but but versus like Charles, a defiant, versus like a defiant walking down, staggering, right. vomiting. Well, but because still Charles talks or, tra- talks a little bit later in the Charles movie is about a her. Nothing bo- is a nothing person. Right. He, until that a, he bites at her a little scene. bit later at breakfast about her bulimia and if it was so it seems like she should be making choices and it never seems like Kristen Stewart is ever making a choice choices are it seems like she's right even if they're not by the royals something outside of her control is making these choices for her and the problem is that from a performance standpoint and from a viewer standpoint is that like I want to know what they are and the only answer is is Pablo Lorraine you know what I mean that's the only answer he can't direct the movie to save his life but people can. And they did it. And rehailed them this week. So Paul Lorraine, go fuck yourself. Stop making movies. If you want to tweet us because you're Pablo Lorraine, <laughs> you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. What if he's been one of our loyal listeners and he just spends the last half hour crying? Well, don't do that. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. You are... Oh, my God. You're going to make me do this. You have promise, but you in our vision. wheelhouse... We just don't like it. Yeah, we don't like it. You're not a bad... You, you obviously are an accomplished... Why are you making me... You're an obviously accomplished director, but compared to the two directors we talked about this week, we probably think or you have how about more this? work Compared to, to the people who have used Natalie Portman recently, Brady Corbett has a more yeah. intense and singular vision than you do. You know what, Pablo Rain, you're doing something different. It's not working, but you're trying. Mm. And if you think you disagree, Pablo Rain, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal, or you can send us a really long email at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail dot com, or you can go to Pivotal. We haven't made any movies. The two of us have never made a movie in our life. No, we are sitting on our high horse here, on top of Pivotal Film Tower. I couldn't. I couldn't make it. I would literally make a porn movie. That, that's all I could do. I've heard that's difficult. Didn't you see Boogie Nights? A lot of, a lot of hard work goes it'd be, into that. It'd be a lot of long shots. It's space. Like, it'd be like, the sex would be happening over here, and 30 feet away I'd be over there, and I'd be shooting the wall, and I'd be like, this is artistic, and <laughs> nobody would like it, and I'd be like, yeah, I can't Shh. direct a movie to save my life. Shoot the shadows. Hmm. Shadow porn. How about that? If that's, you are... a good time. <laughs> If you are a Shadowboard filmmaker, go to PubloRain.com. Just fucking pumped his yeah! fist, going like, These two don't know what the fuck they're talking about. No, he just called I up, did it. He just called up like Natalie Porter and Kristen Stewart. He's like, Listen, just give up with this amazing idea. 
shadow porn. You guys don't have to do anything. He called also called up Trey Parker and Matt Stone. It was oh, fine. Oh yes, imagine those five people working together. Just a lot of vomiting. It'd be great. Love it. I love basketball. I know that's not what you're talking about, but I just love basketball. Yeah. Remember in basketball with the penises in the locker room? I don't remember basketball too much. But they're naked in the locker room and they turn around and their giant penises just like flop around. Oh, I do. They're like the, the length of the whole. It's great. It's great. Basketball I did, I did watch their uh, post-COVID show and I fucking hated it. So. South Park? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I've stopped watching South Park because I knew that they couldn't go anywhere. They've they've re, they've gone to the place that they the furthest place they could go. It's done. It's over. With Radiohead and and Cartman killing that kid's parents and Scott Scott Timmerman or whatever. I forget. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, or go to pivotalfilm.com to look at our pivotal film list or the beers we drank while we're making our pivotal film list or including Fog Nog. Um. I haven't posted any of this stuff on that website. I'm trying to keep the website, like, clean. Because <laughs> yeah. um, nobody goes there, so it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but until then, there's a lot of movies coming out. Uh, I think we'll be back. We'll be back next week with Spider-Man and uh, other West Side Story and fucking everything's coming out. Something. 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 The, next, the next three weeks are going to be hard. I'm, I'm here. Um, but yeah. So go see those movies, drink beers, and talk to you next week.